Good afternoon. The meeting will come to order. This is the October 19th, 2022 Budget and Finance Committee meeting. I'm Hillary Ronan, Chair of the Committee. I'm joined by Committee Member Supervisor Chan and by Vice Chair Supervisor Asha Safai online. He'll be here shortly. Our clerk is Brent Halipa, and I want to thank SF Matthew Ignau at SFGovTV for broadcasting this meeting. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? Thank you, Madam Chair. Just a friendly reminder for those in attendance uh, in the chamber to please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices. Uh, the Board of Supervisors and its committees are now convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The Board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. First public comment will be taken on each item on the agenda. Uh, those attending in person will be allowed to speak first, and then we will take those waiting on the telephone line. Um, let's see. Sorry. Uh, yes, for those watching either channels 26, 28, 78, or 99, and sfgovtv.org, uh, the public call-in number is streaming across the screen. That number is 415-655-0001. Again, that's 415-655-0001. Then enter the meeting ID of 2485-887-9895. Then pound, uh, then pound again. Uh, when connected, you will hear meeting discussions, but you'll be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to speak. Uh, and those on the telephone should dial star three to also uh, be added to the speaker line. If you're on your telephone, please remember to turn down your TV and all listening devices you may be using. Each speaker will be allowed up to two minutes to speak unless otherwise stated. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Budget and Finance Committee Clerk at B-R-E-N-T dot J-A-L-I-P-A at sfgov.org. If you uh, submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors uh, and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. That's one, Dr. Carlton B. Goodluck Place, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And finally, I, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of October 25th, unless otherwise stated. Madam Chair. Thank you so much. Can you please read item number one? Yes, item number one uh, is an ordinance amending the program established in ordinance number 143-21, uh, waiving certain first-year permit, license, and business registration fees for certain businesses retroactive to November 1st, 2021 to extend, through, uh, extend the program through. Jan, uh, June 30th, 2023, increased the gross receipts permissible for a business to qualify for the tax and fee waiver from $2 million to $5 million, remove the requirement that businesses be located on the ground floor, extend the period for refunds uh, to the later of one year from the date of payment or June 30th, 2023, revise the procedures for challenging uh, tax collector determinations uh, that a business improperly claimed a waiver under this ordinance, uh, increase the gross receipts above which the waiver would be retroactively revoked from 10 million to 15 million in the calendar year of, or any calendar year, uh, during the three full calendar years following the date uh, the business commenced uh, uh, business, uh, sorry, commenced business within San Francisco or opened a new business location for commercial use and make other administrative and reporting changes as defined. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, uh, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2485-887-9195. Uh, then press pound 
um, twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that will be your cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you so much. Uh, colleagues, today we will consider legislation that will extend and expand the first year free program ordinance that I previously sponsored that the board unanimously passed last year. Thank you, Supervisor Chan, for your early co-sponsorship. First Year Free is a program to support and revive San Francisco small businesses as the city continues to recover from the pandemic. The program waives the costs of initial registration fees and other applicable fees for qualifying businesses. To date, the program has rolled, enrolled over 1,700 businesses since it began last November. By all accounts, the program has been popular and successful. And I would like to take this opportunity to expand the program so that even more small businesses can qualify. Based on feedback from the Treasurer's Office, uh, the Treasurer and Tax Collector's Office and the Office of Small Business, our new legislation will do the following. Number one, it would extend the qualifying enrollment period through June 30th, 2023. It would expand eligibility for small businesses from two million to five million in max gross receipts. And number three, it will eliminate the ground floor limitation so that businesses such as food trucks can also qualify. In addition, I'm introducing another amendment today that will expand the business types covered by the waiver from commercial businesses in certain planning code cate categories to all commercial businesses. We've seen the benefits this program has brought to our small businesses, and I'm excited that we can continue the progress that we've made. I want to thank the Treasurer and Tax Collector's Office and the Office of Small Business for all the feedback and work, and specifically Amanda Freed, who I know is here, um, from the Treasurer and Tax uh, Collector's Office, who has created this legislation uh, with me and former legislative aide Amy Beinart uh, during sort of the, 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 the a higher or a more urgent moment in the pandemic. So thank you for sticking with it and continuing um, to refine the program so that it can help as many businesses as possible. Um, so I will be making um, those amend the, uh, one amendment to um, what I introduced, and that amendment in, would expand the business types covered by the waiver from commercial businesses in certain planning categories to all commercial businesses, like I mentioned. Um, and just for um, everyone's information, I'm trying to find the page numbers. Um, I don't see the pages. Uh, it's on page one. It's um, number four in the long title. And then somewhere, thank you, it's on page five, uh, lines 19 through 25. So with that, let's open up this item. Or, uh, Ms. Free, did you want to say anything? Come on up. <laughs> Good afternoon, Chair Ronan, Supervisors. Nice to be here. Um, always fun to talk about first year free. I did just have a brief presentation just to just go through all of the proposed amendments so that people are clear on what is proposed here, if that's okay, if we can show the screen. Um, so as Chair Ronan discussed, the goal here is really to expand the number of businesses who can qualify for first year free. Um, the first one is that we're going to, we're proposing to extend it to June 30th, 2023. And without this legislation, this first year free program would end at the end of this month. 
Um, the next major program, the next major change is increasing the gross receipts threshold for eligibility from $2 million to $5 million. Um, this change alone, we believe, will increase the number of businesses who qualify by about 36%, so pretty significant. And as Chair Ronan talked about, removing the ground floor requirement, um, we had a pretty strict definition because we weren't sure exactly how many businesses might open or qualify for this. And so with a little bit of experience, we're recommending to really think more broadly about the definition of small businesses and get back some of the businesses that we um, disqualified previously because they were food trucks, they were in the basement, they were operating a farmer's market stall, et cetera. Um, we don't have enough information in our current data to tell you exactly how many more businesses this will bring, um, but we do know anecdotally from the departments that this was a major question and a major request that came up again and again from small businesses. Again, um, should this legislation pass, we're really excited to get to work again um, to make sure that all of the businesses understand that they are now eligible. The eligibility would go back in time to November 1st, 2021. So we'd be able to retroactively capture businesses that may have already paid but would now be part of the program. Um, and we will again share with the board uh, multilingual outreach materials and, and hope to do some, some really broad marketing to capture as many businesses as possible. Um, and I just want to say I'm so grateful to you, Chair Ronan, for your leadership on this item, um, and also to my partners in several departments, the Office of Small Business, the team at the Permit Center, and all the staff in the first year free departments who worked really closely with us to implement, and we'll have another lift to do should these amendments pass, but everyone is pretty eager to, to make this program as successful as possible. Thank you. Thank you so much, and I also just wanted to uh, thank and Anna Herrera from my office for taking taking this on after Amy retired um, and uh, for putting so much effort into this legislation as well. Thank you. Um, before we, I'll turn it over to my colleagues, I wanted to give the BLA an opportunity to report. Thank you, Chair Ronan and Nick Menard from the Budget Legislative Analyst Office. Um, so we show on page four of our report the total amount of fees that have been waived since the start of the program through August of this year. Uh, that totals $441,000. Um, there, there was $4 million in the Treasurer Tax Collector budget that the board added um, to fund this program, which we believe leaves sufficient funding for these changes in the amendment. Um, and on that basis, we're recommending approval. Thank you so much. Supervisor Safai. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to be added as a co-sponsor to this. I think this is a tremendous program and it's also in line with many of the things that we're going to have to consider in the coming year as we're really beginning to think about uh, encouraging, revitalizing, and reimagining our downtown core as well uh, because there's a lot at stake in terms of how we keep businesses going. Uh, this is a wonderful program. Um, the amount of money fees waived is less than half a million dollars, but the impact to our local economy is, is dramatic, significant. It's helping to save jobs, it's helping to keep businesses going. And um, I think it said almost 1,800 businesses enrolled uh, in the existing program as of October of this year. So that's a significant impact. Um, 
with very minimal cost to the city. I think going forward it's going to be about $3 million, $3.5 million that they estimate would be waived, and that will be, that will be realized back to the city dramatically and uh, exponentially. So thank you, Supervisor Ronan, for leading this and fighting so hard for small businesses, and I'm proud to co-sponsor this with you. Thank you so much. Now if we can open up this item for public comment. Yes, Madam Chair. <clears throat> Pardon. Members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now to speak. Uh, for those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2485-887-9195. Then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait uh, until the system indicates you have been unmuted. And as you're queued to begin your comments... Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, uh, Mr. Lamb, unmute our first caller, please. Hello, everybody. This is Sharky Laguana. I am president of the San Francisco Small Business Commission, but calling today in my personal capacity. I want to uh, really uh, deeply thank Chair Ronan for her leadership on this legislation and um, getting the ball rolling on it. Uh, I think it has made a material impact on a lot of small businesses and, and their decision-making. Um, I would also uh, like to thank Amanda for all of her hard work. Uh, she certainly spent a lot of time with me on the phone as we uh, strategized about how we could expand it even further. Uh, and uh, there's constraints there, but uh, um, certainly we definitely need to do uh, even more to encourage small businesses to open. Um, I'd like to also echo your thanks for Anna and your office, Chair Ronan. Uh, she was wonderful to work with, and uh, we really appreciate her efforts. Um, thank you as well, Supervisors, for, for your support, um, and Supervisor Safai for adding yourself as a co-sponsor. Um, I will just add uh, that, that we still, as a city, have more small businesses closing than opening. And that's a, a challenge as we uh, try to work towards an economic recovery. And certainly anything we can do to expand enrollment is material. Um, and finally, I would just add that these fees generally are pretty small uh, on a per-business basis, but waiving them does convince people that are sitting on the fence to get off the fence. Um, there are businesses out there that are not being captured by this. We'd like to see uh, them get captured by this. this. This expansion will help a lot. Uh, but uh, I think there are also some larger fees that may have to be looked at in the uh, coming time ahead if we want to really maximize our recovery. But um, the bottom line here is this has been a great legislative effort and really Speaker appreciate all elapsed. that you have done. Thank you so much, Sharky Laguana, for your comments. And Madam Chair, that finishes the queue. Thank you so much. Um, with that, I will make a motion to amend as I read into the record. Um, and then if we can take it in one vote, uh, send the amended item to the full board with positive recommendation. Oh, uh, Chair Rana, before the vote, uh, can we close public comment, please? Of course, and I'm okay. closing public comment. Thank, Thank you. you much. Okay, on that motion to uh, amend this ordinance as stated uh, by Chair Ronan and also to um, forward this ordinance to the full board with a positive recommendation Chair as Roman? amended. Excuse me, Chair oh. Ronan. I'm so sorry. Oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> I am, I'm so glad I have you both to keep me in line today. 
Uh, if I could withdraw that motion and okay. instead make the motion to amend, and because these are substantive amendments, uh, to continue the amended item to the October 26th Budget and Finance Committee meeting. Thank you, City Attorney Pearson. Okay, on, <clears throat> okay, so on this motion <laughs> um, to amend uh, the ordinance as stated uh, by the chair and to continue this ordinance to the October 26th meeting of this uh, committee as amended. Vice Chair Safai. Safi, aye. Member Chan? Aye. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan? Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That, those motions pass unanimously. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number two? Item number two is a resolution authorizing the Director of Property to execute a second amendment to a 10-year commercial lease uh, with two five-year extension options between the city and county as landlord and volunteers in medicine doing business as a uh, clinic by the bay as tenant for the city-owned property located at 35 Onondaga Avenue, uh, authorizing the reimbursement of up to a total of approximately $2.1 million for tenant improvements uh, to commence following board approval upon execution of the lease and to authorize the director of property to enter into any amendments or modifications uh, to the second amendment that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of the lease or this resolution. Members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment on this resolution. Please call 415-655-0001 with the meeting ID of 2485-887-9895, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A system prompt will indicate that you've raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that'll be your cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you so much. And I'll turn it over to Supervisor Safai to introduce this item. Thank you. Uh, just to give a little background real quickly, um, this item is today is to increase uh, the funding towards tenant improvements uh, at 3545 Onondaga. Uh, this is a city-owned property. It's the old Alamany Emergency Hospital. It's owned by the Department of Public Health. Um, this project actually was put out to bid my first two weeks in office being elected in 2017. Um, it is absolutely stunning that we're still here waiting for this project to begin. And it was awarded to Clinic by the Bay, a free clinic, um, arts band that does residency spaces for artists in San Francisco. They both will eventually take over the space. They have gone out and raised millions of dollars to do tenant improvements that the city will not pay for. Um, but the city only put $400,000 aside to renovate this space. The cost is well over $2 million, and we've had to come back and adjust these contracts accordingly. There's still probably work to be done, just to let my colleagues know we're going to have to come back and adjust these. This is not your traditional dollar-a-year rent for a nonprofit. This is they're actually paying rent, and um, so we probably will have to come back and, and, and look at this because the amount of money that they're putting into this, the amount of effort and energy that they've had to put into this has been grossly underestimated. And so the reason we're coming back here today also has to do with you know, your favorite thing. It's transitioning from PG&E to PUC, and we've gone through a dramatic uh, process. I think it's almost done where the transformer is going to be located. There were some very unexpected things that happened along the way. Um, we discovered an underground tunnel 
because uh, Alamany Boulevard used to be the what was the, the freeway or the fast route way. They didn't build bridges at that time. They oftentimes would build tunnels. And so where they were originally going to put the transformer, um, this came up. We had to put additional money in on the city side to fill that area. So there's been a lot of unexpected things that have happened along the way. Um, but essentially for you today, colleagues, is a request to increase some additional funds uh, that we worked with DPH on that will go toward the cost of capital improvement that in my opinion, the city should have and thought about, should have awarded previously, um, and we probably, as I said, we'll probably have to come back and talk to you. This is a free clinic. They're around the corner. Thank goodness we've been able to uh, find them a permanent location and um, getting art and art programming out in the Excelsior Outer Mission has been very important, so we're super excited that Artspan will be there as well. So DPH and PUC have agreed to fund the remainder of costs that were estimated by the real estate division as costs have escalated. And um, I think we have Jeremy Spitz here today, or maybe he's online from the PUC and Claudia Gorham um, here to answer any questions that you all might have. And I know that I think there's a, a BLA report. So why don't we do the BLA report first, if you don't mind. Sure. This uh, item two is a resolution that approves an amendment to the amended and restated lease um, with the city um, as landlord and volunteers in medicine. Uh, the only change is to increase the city's contribution of the tenant improvements from 1.66 to $2.12 million. Um, this is to uh, do underground work um, on power infrastructure to connect the site to the PUC's um, power enterprise. Um, and, you know, as we know in our report, the tenant improvements, the cost of the tenant improvements continue to exceed the rent on the ten initial 10-year term, and for that reason, we consider approval of this resolution to be a policy matter. Supervisor Chan. Thank you, Vice Chair Safai. I think uh, if I, my recollection, um, serve me correctly, I, I believe you also uh, in the last fiscal year has allocated about $80,000 already too into this. I, I really do believe in, in the mission though of this project. Um, I, I think it's, it's uh, I think District 11 deserve to have a free clinic um, and to serve those actually cannot get cover for health care. Um, but I just want to confirm that we... That we, was. It was yeah. 85000 and it was to fill the unexpected underground tunnel that we yeah. did not know was there. Right. And so that helps with the energy portion of PUC, um, um, PG&E, where the transformer will be located. It was actually only one of the only places that it could be in the sidewalk. And, and I think another part that I want to confirm that the unexpected, besides your typical unexpected, unforeseen construction issues like the underground tunnel, but also one of the whole of it was because of PG&E, correct? Um, you know, in this situation, actually, they, we engaged them very early because we learned from the, the, um, the Balboa pool situation. Yeah. So we engaged them very early. We were able to work together to ensure that it didn't bump the requirement to a a ridiculous energy amount. Um, the process has been more about there's a lot of different engineers and others to coordinate. So we have PUC, Public Works, PG&E, 
there's, there's just a lot of different coordination that's happened. So in this instance, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's the case. It's just a matter of taking the building, upgrading the service. And it's a little bit difficult for a lot of people to understand because at the end of the day, you think, you know, this was an existing building. Why can't we just rehab it and get it going? But um, part of it has to do with the level of services changing. I mean, it's free clinic, but it's also going to be a dental office. There's going to be free dental services there, which require more power. Um, there's a restoration to a mural that was there. It's a historic mural um, that we've had to allocate for. So some of, some of the real, and I'm just going to say this truthfully, some of the real problems stemmed from a very rushed process to put this out to bid mm -hmm. without doing a real analysis of what the scope of work was. And that's what my reference was in the beginning. The city said, we have $400,000. It was some strange amount. It was like 417000 So you think to yourself, maybe that's some money that they just had left over. I, I'm being honest. Like, I feel like that might have been some like, remaining funds that they had. There's no way that scope of work on this project was a $400,000. And it's probably part of the reason why some of the people chose not to bid on it originally. Um, and so I think if we had had a better scoping of the cost of the work it would have allowed us to get this done a lot sooner. And so with that said, um, I think my last question is, and I think um, Vice Chair Safai already stated uh, in the beginning, is that you will come back. So I think the two, two parts question is, uh, one is when, I think most importantly, not. When, 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 do we, when do we expect the work to be completed <laughs> so that you know, the clinic gets open and serve the community? Well, what is the expected we're, completion? We're, we're literally two weeks away from getting the final uh, engineering uh, scope from PG&E. Uh, PUC will then uh, review that, and then the transformer will be installed. But some of the work is, is, is ready. It's, it's about a four, what they've told us. It's about a four or five month scope of work. That's it. It's a very quick scope of work. And so they've put out their bids. They've gotten the bids back uh, as of two weeks ago. Uh, Nibby Brother Construction is doing it. They happen to be right down the street doing a 100% affordable project in my district. So I think everything is going to line up at this point. It's just been very frustrating to wait, to have to see the project costs escalate, to see the, the piecemealing of, of the scope of work. Um, the coordination between the different agencies and so on. So you're expecting to... So sometime in the spring. So in about the next four to five months in spring of 2023. That's, I'm always going to be optimistic. And then um, <laughs> what is the expectation? This is what happened when you have a former, you know, like... Uh, My work is being someone done. From, <laughs> someone from, like, Department of Public Works, and it's like now he's answering all the questions for you. <laughs> Maybe that's a good thing. Um, so uh, with the expectation of, and you can correct him if that's not correct, <laughs> but um, I, I want to say so then with the expectation of completion in spring 2023, um, of course none of us want you to come back, you know, with additional calls, but um, is there expectation, though, that you could be coming back for additional costs. There might, there might be. I mean, I, I have to say there, there could be. We're, we'll find out as we get the final analysis from PG&E and then the team. The way we negotiated this contract is that each of the nonprofits actually is, was required to go out and fundraise for some of the cost of capital cost. Um, on top of that, 
they have gone out and done a capital campaign to do all of the tenant improvements. This scope of work is really to do a warm shell, all the electrical, plumbing, walls, you know, uh, get the energy and power uh, ready to go. Um, so, but what I think has, there were, and we can do a, full, a fuller analysis and have a fuller conversation because we have a pretty long agenda today, but I think that there's, there will be some conversation about the amount of costs that both of the nonprofits have had to, um, have been burdened with given the scope of this work and given the work that's going to be delivered on behalf of the citizenry. And so is it, has the city shifted a significant portion of their responsibility on, on properties that the city owns? I mean, that's really what I would come back with. I don't, I don't think that was the initial um, understanding. Um, but anyway, we can, we can finalize that. At least at this point, I think today, I think we're in good shape. It's an additional $460,000. Um, and it, it, it should get us to, to close to the finish line with all the construction. You're welcome. Um, did you want to add anything, Ms. Corum? No. No. Okay. <laughs> thanks for be, thanks for being here today, and thanks for working with us. Uh, do you want to open up for public comment? I would be happy to. Can we please open this item up for public comment? Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. Uh, for those listening remotely, please call four one five six five five zero 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 one with the meeting ID of two four eight five eight eight seven nine eight nine one nine five. Then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. Uh, for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. And that will be your queue to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber. And Madam uh, Chair, there are no speakers on the telephone. Public comment is now closed. Would you like to do the honors? Yes. And send this item to the full board with a positive recommendation. Can we have a roll call on that, on that motion? On that motion by Vice Chair Safai to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation. Uh, Vice Chair Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously. Can you please read item number three? Yes, item number three is a resolution approving the lease amendment extending the term from January 1st, 2023 to December 31st, 2032 for approximately 69,000 square feet at 1390 Market Street or Fox Plaza with SF2 1390 Market Street LLC uh, as landlord for use by the Office of the City Attorney had an initial uh, annual rent of approximately $4.9 million or, or $413,000 per month uh, with 3% annual increases thereafter, approving the continued use of the portion of the premises for child care services, hence authorize the director of property to enter into any amendments to the lease or the daycare license that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city, do not materially decrease the benefits to the city, and are necessary or advisable to effectuate the purposes of the lease or this resolution. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2485-887-9195, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star 3 to enter the speaker line. A system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that will be your cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, and I wanted to thank uh, Supervisor Safai and Ms. Gorman and Charles Sullivan from the City Attorney's Office. Um, and shut up! I can jump in if you and, like. And he'll.
thank everyone else for uh, really looking at this and negotiating and finding a solution. So I'll turn it over to you, Supervisor Safai. Thank you, and thank you, Chair Ronan. Yes, we work closely with uh, Charles Sullivan and his team, along with Enrico Penick and uh, Real Estate and their team. Essentially, the reason we wanted to have a further look at this was the idea of not getting locked into a longer-term lease, given the current state of the real estate market and seeing the office occupancies uh, fluctuating, potentially the price uh, per square foot going down further, and then leaving the city uh, options open for future uh, negotiations and or future options to, to relocate. Um, we have also needed to fulfill the desire of the city attorney's office to expand their footprint. Uh, the amount of space that they need uh, has increased, so we wanted to be cognizant of that, but also understanding that there would be some costs associated uh, with uh, tenant improvements uh, under a shorter scenario. I think we've come up with a solution. I'll let Ms. Gorham talk about that, or, or Ms. Sullivan can talk about that and his team to talk about how uh, some of that cost will be spread out or amortized over certain period of time, and then we have the ability to come back and have a future conversation with this budget committee um, because uh, they don't have any monies allocated for tenant improvements. We keep the price per square foot. I think it's $66 a square foot, which is what we wanted. The city attorney is able to realize the space that they wanted, maybe even a little bit additional, and it allows us to have a five-year lease, which is what you know, my goal was working with the team. I spoke with Director Pennick before he got on his plane on Friday, and he felt comfortable with this deal. Um, so I'm not putting words in his mouth, but and spoke with the city attorney on Sunday, and they felt comfortable with this deal. So I'll hand it over. Oh, m let's go to Mr. Menard first, with the BLA, and then we can go to the Department of Real Estate and City Attorney's Office. Through the chair. Uh, so we we just got the amendments yesterday, but I can tell you that you're correct. The price per square foot is the same. Um, did we get the amendments? Just I'm sorry. Did did you all see the amendments? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, but, I'm sorry. Sure. Uh, the but in consideration of the shorter lease, the city is now. So the original lease um, proposal had the city not paying for tenant improvements and then a four-month rent abatement. This new version has a one-month rent abatement and then the city paying for tenant improvements. So altogether, it's about a $2.8 million difference over, over the five-year period, even though the lease uh, cost per square foot is the same. But it's less than locking us into a 10-year. So right, if, you add, what, if you add the entire amount that we would have to pay at a $66 a square foot, so we're saving money, potentially, depending upon where the market goes. Right. Okay. Ms. Gorham? <laughs> and I'm saying your name right. It's Gorham, right? Gorham, yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, good afternoon. Uh, Claudia Gorham, Deputy Managing Director of the Real Estate Division. Um, we have submitted an amended resolution which touches on the main terms that have changed. Um, one is that instead of 10, it goes down to five years. The five years actually will start upon substantial completion of the tenant improvements. So, it'll, so the length of time that the space is there will be a little bit longer, but the five-year term starts with the expansion. Um, 
It is correct that the city will now be contributing $1.6 million toward the cost of the tenant improvements. Um, the landlord will, be also, landlord will also be contributing $1.9 million or more, dependent upon how much um, they cost, but the city's uh, contribution is capped at one6 That can be paid over um, in a lump sum next fiscal year or over 2.5 years on a monthly basis, at, hopefully at city's choosing. Um, That's the point. Um, let's see, I want to make sure I catch everything. Um, we do get one month uh, rent abatement in June 2023, so that's this fiscal year. That can be either not paid or used for any change orders. Um, uh, the, the tenant improvements should be commencing um, calendar year next year, early. Should be completed March or April. Um, so that's coming up <laughs> very soon. Um, and again, yes, it is capped. Um, it is at $66. It is at 3%. Um, a lot of the other terms are exactly the same as it was in the 10-year. Um, and we can get into all the uh, um, cost per square foot and the additional what it was or would have been um, next time. We would like to have the committee um, uh, adopt the amended resolution and then ask for an extension to next week so that we can come back and discuss it further. Sounds good Thank to me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Ms. Sullivan, do you, are you, you or your team want to add anything? All right, Charles Sullivan, City Attorney's Office. I, I think you've done a good job summarizing this, and I want to just thank you for your support because I think we're bringing forward a good deal that is, I mean, we were happy with the 10-year deal, but we understand your desire for a five-year deal, and I think we did a good job in sort of bringing you a five-year deal that really works for us, and I do think it's worth emphasizing that you know, the, the landlord is gonna be responsible for giving us a turnkey product no matter the cost. So it could be more, we expected it's, we, we anticipated it's about three and a half million dollars for the TIs, it could be more, but our contribution is capped. So Great, I think that's great. thank you for um, underscoring that. Supervisor you. Chan. Thank you, I think this is more really um, a question for Vice Chair uh, Safai. Uh, I, I think that uh, when I evaluate both the original terms, which is, was actually uh, recommended by BLA as it, as it currently, as it was, um, and, and now looking at this, I, I too think that it is actually a good negotiated terms and conditions for the contract. The, the only thing though, the difference between the 10 and the five years is what are we going to do with the city attorney's office um, if, if in the next five years or within the five years time and what are our goals and, and strategy and how we can make sure that um, they have a home five years from now, if not Fox Plaza or not, if not continuing the lease. So uh, uh, if you don't mind, I can jump in real quick. One of the things that we've tried to do emphasizing at least my term on this Board of Supervisors as well as the Budget Committee is really push the Department of Real Estate, um, particularly in this market, and we're going to see a lot of options uh, to purchase properties to reduce the city's exposure. I think there's a lot of really positive things about Fox Plaza. I know that when City Attorney Louise Rennie was there, that she created the child care space. Uh, my family was a beneficiary of that. Uh, it's a wonderful uh, model attorneys there with childcare in the building and they have it here in this building as well. So I think those, uh, there's all, all of those things. I think though, 
you know, part of this conversation was really about changing the negotiating leverage on the city's part. If this, if the landlord believes that the city is never going to do anything other than be there as a permanent tenant, they're always going to negotiate from the perspective of we don't have any other options. And so we have tried in this committee. Um, same thing happened with HSH a couple years ago. They wanted to rent space in South of Market on Mission Street, and we shot that down and told them they owned a building on Turk Street in the heart of the Tenderloin, and they needed to go put their offices in that location. And so there are options uh, that the city will have, and so we want to wait and see what they present over the next couple of years um, to really pursue those aggressively. Um, we might end up remaining in Fox Plaza, but we might not. And so I think that's, um, that's where we're headed in these conversations. Yeah, I mean, I think that, and this is really a message more for city administrator Carmen Chu and more than for the city attorney's office. I think that um, I would, would love for us to work with her and her team to really, and especially given that she is the capital planning committee chair, um, and to really have a, a more holistic uh, conversation or comprehensive planning really for the city's public assets and inventory and, and to make a decision one, once at some point or, or just really a, a somewhat I would say a, a master plan I guess for our public assets to determine whether we how we want to purchase and how we want to lease our properties because I would have to say you know besides city attorney's office we recently also just um, in just last fiscal year, we approved the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing for them leasing uh, right nearby on Van Ness. And, and so let's, and, and that's, that's a new lease. So let's have a conversation then, if that's the case, and to really like, what are we doing for all the city departments located, conveniently located in this area? So thank you. Thanks. So. So it sounds like we can now open this item up for public comment. Thank you, Madam Chair, members of the public. Who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now to speak. However, those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2485-887-9195, then pound twice once connected. Press star three to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and there'll be your queue to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber. And Madam Chair, we have no speakers on the line. Public comment is now closed. Would you like to make the motions? Yes, uh, I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board. Oh, accepting the amendments, right? Accepting the amendments and then continuing. Right, oh, we have to, oh, they're substantive. Okay, sorry. I'd like to mo make a motion to accept amendments as proposed by the Department of Real Estate and the City Attorney's Office. On that motion by Vice Chair Safai to accept the uh, amendments as offered by the Department of uh, Real Estate Division. Uh, Vice Chair Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously. I, can I, I just point a clarification? Are we certain those amendments are substantive? Not to question Madam City Attorney, I just... I always was under the impression when things decreased, it was. 
Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson, you're right, typically when an amount decreases, it's not substantive. Here, we are paying the same yearly rent for the five years. Um, we are not paying the extra five years, but we're also not getting the benefit of the building for the, that period, and we are assuming this $1.6 million obligation for the tenant improvements. So it's the tenant improvements That's doesn't, right. but reducing- It's not the, the reduction in the- The reduction the of the rent, the expo locking us in, doesn't negate the tenant, okay. Sounds good to me. You're the boss. All right. <laughs> so I'll make a motion to send uh, the amended item to the to uh, to continue the amended item yeah. to this committee the, to the October 26th uh, date of this committee. Okay. On that motion to continue this resolution to the 10:26 meeting of this committee has amended. Vice Chair Safai, Safai, I member Chan, Chan, I, uh, Chair Rennan. Run and I. We have three eyes. That pa motion passes unanimously. Thank you, everyone. Uh, Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number four? Yes, item number four. On second, I'm sorry. Okay, uh, is a resolution approving and authorizing the execution, delivery, and performance of a purchase and sale agreement with the Coal Trust for the sale by the city, acting by and through the San Francisco Port Commission, of unimproved real property known as a portion of former Custer Avenue, a public trust exchange and title settlement agreement for 1620, 1650, and 1680 Davidson Avenue between the city, acting by and through its, uh, the Port Commission, uh, the California State Lands Commission, and the Coal Trust, both agreements in furtherance of a settlement agreement between the Port Commission and the Coal Trust, affirming the Planning Department's determination uh, under the California Environmental Quality Act, adopting findings that the agreements are consistent with the general plan and the eight priority policies of the Planning Code, adopting uh, findings uh, declaring that the real property transactions comply with the State Surplus Lands Act and City Surplus Lands Ordinance, uh, authorizing future city acceptance from the state of a new public trust easement pending state enabling legislation and authorizing the port's executive director and the director of property to take certain actions in furtherance of this resolutions as defined. Uh, members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 248-588-79195, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three. Uh, to enter the speaker line, the system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. And when the system indicates you have been unmuted, I will be recue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you so much. And we have Josh Keen from the port here to present or to describe this item. Great. Thank you, Chair Ronan, Supervisor Chan, uh, and Vice Chair Safai when you get back. Um, so this is going, that was a pretty long, long title. This is going to be a very succinct presentation. Um, this is actually a very quick technical uh, transaction from our side. I wanted to give you this presentation because there was not a BLA report because there was not a fiscal impact on this. Um, so if, if he's available there, uh, Boris Delapine, could you pull up our presentation? Great, thank you. And go ahead and go to the next slide on this one. Okay, so very briefly, as I mentioned, this is a technical real estate transaction, a series of actions that we're asking for the Department of Real Estate to help us out with. Um, and it's associated with settling a legal dispute between the city on behalf of the port and the state of California, um, which each have presumed uh, jurisdictional rights on a piece of property that another private party is also asserting rights to. Um, and so basically, the, um, the, the adjacent property owner owns to the north and to the south and essentially surrounds this. So this is obviously an important piece of property for them, but the port uh, and the state have asserted some legal rights on this. 
So very briefly, um, you'll see on the picture over there, uh, there's an indication, it's called Custer Avenue. And so this subject property that we're talking about is 25,000 square feet, give or take. And it was, a, it was a paper street. So it was intended to be developed and it never was. And that's kind of where the chain of the title gets kind of lost a little bit here. So acknowledging the dispute, um, and then rather than litigate the ownership, the parties, which are the port in the state on one side and then the coal trust on the other, entered into a settlement agreement to essentially try to negotiate an appropriate settlement of this to avoid litigation. And that's where we are really today here, is the actions contemplated under an already existing settlement agreement. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, so really quick about the transactions here, and this is going to involve quit claiming or disposing um, or conveying port property to the coal trust is kind of the primary action. That's, that, this is a, a breakdown of that Custer Avenue as shown over there. The yellow area and the red area encompass Custer Avenue as we know it. Um, they're a little bit different as far as how they're regulated by state law. So the, what we've negotiated is the kind of, let's call it the port portion is the red triangle. Um, and that would be a payment to the port of $160,000 in exchange for quit claiming that property. And then the yellow area, which is the remainder of Custer Avenue, that is uh, actually, that would be money that would be paid to the state. Uh, and it would go to their cap law fund, as I'll explain later. So it's essentially a $950,000 uh, disposition in addition to some other considerations that I'm going to get to in a, in a moment. Uh, Boris, if you could go next slide, please. So also in exchange, uh, the state will be receiving an easement that you can see uh, running along the northern edge of the property. That does not exist now, but that actually is adjacent to Islaeus Creek, which is particularly beneficial, obviously, to state lands and to the port itself. So that will be a concession also given into the deal. Um, and actually, beneficially, that easement will eventually come under a separate action to the port in a future outside of the settlement agreement. So that's kind of why this is in here now to contemplate at some point that easement could come back to the port is what's contemplated there. Um, and so as I was mentioning, that $790,000 to the state, it actually just doesn't go to their general budget. It goes to their capital fund, which is used for uh, acquiring potential properties, which we're hoping to work with them to locate some port side or uh, bayside properties in San Francisco to the extent possible. Um, and lastly, the port will also get reimbursed for a portion of its legal costs here. Uh, next slide. So really, here's our proposed next steps. If you're in agreement with this resolution, uh, we would seek full board approval uh, next Tuesday on the 25th. At the same time, the State Lands Commission is seeking approval of this because they're party to this, some of the transactions, specifically that $790,000 aspect of this. So we're hoping both of those go through. Um, that would lead us towards a closing of the transactions contemplated here by the end of this year. And as a result of that, all the claims would be dropped, uh, and basically official final settlement of the agreement amicably, um, which we, I want to thank the city attorney's office on that. They did a great job negotiating it. I do want to, oh, sorry, I missed one, one point on this earlier. We did get an appraisal and an appraisal review signed off by um, Claudia Gorham and her team, and that was used to set the fair market value to negotiate the settlement amount. Um, so that was in there. So that's all I've got. I do want to say real quickly, I'd like to thank Jamie Hurley from the port on my team for doing a great job leading this. Um, Claudia Gorham and her team for being here and helping us along the way. Our colleagues at State Lands and the Attorney General's Office for their partnership on this. Uh, and in particular, I want to thank Rona Sandler, Justin Bigelow, and Kirsten Jensen from the City Attorney's Office. They did a great job on this. Great. And I'm here for any questions if you got thank it. Thank you so much, Supervisor Chan.
Thank you, Chair Ronan. Just a quick question. What is the existing use? And then also, are there any plans for future use? Yeah, the existing use is actually under a long-term lease for operation of a bus, the storage, and I believe light repair facility there. It's been an ongoing use for a long time. It's one of the issues that kind of clouds some of the use because you've got a lease of property with a dispute on there. Um, according to the Coal Trust, the current plan is to keep the property leased. They're even investing, either them or the tenants investing into, I believe, some kind of energy renewal for the bus facility as far as it goes. Eventually, they might develop the property. It could be open, but there's no imminent plans for that. Sorry, when you say bus storage, did you mean like just Sorry, facility, bus, bus parking, yeah. For, but it's just, not like Muni bus. No, it's not Got Muni it. bus, it's correct. Thank you. Sure. Thank you so much. No more questions. We will now open this item up for public comment. Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now to speak. However, for those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001 with the meeting ID of 2485-887-9195, then press pound twice, press star three to enter the speaker line. And if you're already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and that will be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber. And Madam Chair, we have no speakers on the line. Public comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. Motion passes unanimously. Nice Thank to you, see Mr. King. Take care. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number five? Yes, item number five is a resolution authorizing the Department of Environment uh, to accept and expend a grant in the amount of approximately $2.3 million from the California Energy Commission's Alternative and Renewable Fuel and Vehicle Technology Program to implement an electric vehicle-ready blueprint to accelerate local vehicle electrification for the period of August 1st, 2022 through March 29th, 2024 as a term of the grant agreement. Uh, Google, EVgo, and other city agencies will provide in-kind services and equipment for use by the public and improving the grant agreement pursuant to Charter Section 9.118, subsection A. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2485-887-9195, then press pound twice. Uh, once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. The uh, system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, there will be a signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you so much, and to refresh everyone's memory, this has been heard a couple times at this committee, then sent to the full board, and then sent back to committee. Um, you know, a couple of the issues were that the partners were chosen without a competitive process. Um, we are looking into making uh, some uh, changes to um, competitively look at grant partners in the future, um, which is not required now. So there, there wasn't any um, requirement that departments, when seeking grants and partners to seek grants, uh, hold a competitive process. But that is something that we're hoping to change in the future. And then um, when this made it to the full board, it came to light that Supervisor Walton uh, was not briefed about this item, despite the fact that uh, most of the electric vehicle um, infrastructure would be placed in his district. 
My understanding is he has now been briefed and is in favor of this item, but I want to turn it over to Director Ju to confirm and, and make any comments. Uh, that, that's correct. Uh, happy to go over what the grant is, if that's the pleasure of the committee, if that would be helpful. Um, otherwise, everything you stated is, is apt and correct. So the same issues that were talked about in the last committee meeting and mentioned in the BLA report still exist and are still present. Uh, we continue to work with the Office of Contract Administration and the City Attorney's Office on, as Chair Ronan mentioned, kind of a citywide kind of procedures and, and process for how we select grant co-applicants, so we await for the conclusion of that process. Uh, that said, this is uh, a unique and extraordinary opportunity for the city in that we would be accepting $2.4 million from the California Energy Commission to advance uh, our electric vehicle roadmap within the city and also low carbon transportation uh, projects within the city. So it's a great opportunity to get money from the state and implement projects locally here uh, in the city. Oh, Supervisor Chan. Um, thank you, Chair Ronan. I just thank you, uh, Director Drew. I have to say, you know, um, it was uh, overlapping between my predecessor, Supervisor Sandra Lee Fewer. She was on as the chair of uh, LAFCO, the Local Formation Agency Commission, and um, it was actually the commission was involved in partnership with Department of Environment to apply for this grant. Um, if I remember correctly. Uh, that's correct. The yeah. uh, e-bike uh, yeah. food delivery pilot project, which is a component of this grant, yeah. uh, was worked with in partnership with LAFCO. So I have to say that we, we've been eager to see the release of this grant and the implementation of this grant, but I, that, that's why it's such a good news to hear now that President Walton has been brief and is supportive of this. So thank you. Supervisor Safai. Yeah. Um, my, my biggest problem with this was not the idea of expanding opportunities for electric charging and I understand because it was a grant um, that folks could I mean the department could choose whomever they want um, the the <clears throat> it's more about the process and kind of the transparency of it all uh, we've had a lot of issues uh, recently about how grant how applications are put together how contracts are awarded how things are decided at the departmental level uh, without there being kind of full transparency um, let me ask this question and again I know you transitioned in director Chu was this process talked about at your commission level was it decided you know this is who we're going to choose and partner with as the private company to come in and build this infrastructure within a neighborhood. These are the nonprofits that we're going to choose um, as part of this grant and not choose San Francisco-based nonprofit. I mean, that's, that's the thing that still doesn't sit well with me 100%. I'm glad you have finally decided to brief the district supervisor, which I think is important. Um, again, and I know you've transitioned into your new role, so a lot of this pre predated you, but I'd just like to hear you talk about that a little bit. Uh, thank you for the question, Vice Chair Safai. Uh, the commission was not involved in the selection of the grant partners, and so they were not involved in the production or uh, submission of the grant to the state of California. Uh, the commission was made aware in a committee hearing about the grant later on when it was awarded uh, for their information. So 
I hope that answers your question regarding that. I would just say going forward, I mean, if this gets approved today, I would say going forward it's important uh, that we're thinking about San Francisco-based nonprofits that do similar work. We're thinking about the communities that are impacted. I know there might not be a strict rule about how grants are put together um, in, ter in terms of who the partners are chosen, and I know that that happens often. Uh, one of the things I think we have talked about before, Director uh, Jew, is that having a list of, uh, you know, putting out requests for qualifications in certain areas would be a very uh, important step that you would take as a new director uh, because then it, it allows you to say, we, we've put this information out. These are the partners that we've asked to come in. We've qualified them. And then when you go forward and you're choosing a grant or you're choosing to work with them, you've gone through that process. And I know you're thinking about those things. I just wanted to say that for the record because I think that would be really helpful going forward for you um, and your department to have uh, avoid these kind of uh, issues and delays. Uh, thank you for the comments, I, I agree. Uh, so since that committee meeting, you've heard me say directly to this committee that we wouldn't move forward with another grant in a similar fashion, and we have not uh, since that period of time. The solicitation that would be part of this grant to do the community outreach in the Baby Hunters Point around the fast charging stations, uh, we want to have a community-led process working with President Walton's office. We're going to go out for a public solicitation for that uh, to find a, an experienced CBO that has experience working in the Baby Hunters Point, and that's kind of how we want to kind of move forward through this. But, um, and I know this committee understands the exciting opportunity this does provide to the city and more importantly to that community. Uh, and I expressed at the last committee meeting that, you know, charging it left to market forces alone will not gravitate towards the areas that, the underserved areas that have been historically and disproportionately impacted by air pollution. And we need every leverage we can get through these incentives from the state to put chargers in there, right? To have the people on the ground to be able to work with the community and educate the community about the benefits of charging. Um, and to make that resource available to them. So this is why we're, and I know Chair Ronan mentioned this, you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place, and I very much appreciate that. Um, but this is still a, a great opportunity for the city and for that community, I think. And are you going to ensure that they're maintaining the chargers? Because that's one of the biggest problems, and I know we talked about this before, you go to them and they don't work. Uh, so EVgo does have a successful, more successful track record of maintaining their chargers, and that would be a condition, obviously, of uh, moving forward with them. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. And do you want to present from the BLA anything on this item? I know you've presented several times before. Uh, no, we don't have any updates to our report. I'll just, the grant term listed in the resolution and in the underlying legislative file Right now it's through March 2024, but the department is going to work with the state to extend the grant term given the delays in approval. Okay. Thank you. Can we open this item up for public comment? Uh, yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now to speak. Uh, for those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2485-887-9195, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star 3 to enter the speaker line. For those ready in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. And there will be your queue to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber... And, Mata, and Madam Chair, we have no speakers on the line. Public comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation. 
On that motion to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Safai. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you, Mr. Chu. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number six? Yes, item number six. His ordinance retroactively authorizing the Department of Public Health to accept and expend a grant amount in approximately $1.5 from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention through the California Department of Public Health as a pass-through entity for participation in a coronavirus disease 20. Uh, 2019-related program entitled COVID-19 Public Health Crisis Response and the Public Health uh, Workforce Development Supplemental Funding for the period of July 1st, 2021 through June 30th, 2023 in amending Ordinance Number 109-21, the Annual Salary Ordinance for Fiscal Years 2021 to 2022 and 2022 to 2023 to provide for the addition of four grant-funded full-time positions in Class 931 Manager uh, 3, Class 2593 Health Program Coordinator 3, and 2119 healthcare analyst. Uh, members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, uh, please call 415 655 0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2485887995 and then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. How prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that will be your cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you so much. And we have Andrea Tenner from Public Health to, uh, com to present on this item. I think you might be online. Hi. Thank you so much, Chair Ronan. And thank you to all the supervisors. Um, so uh, as you just heard, these funds were awarded by the CBC. And the goal of the grant was to establish, tra uh, expand, train, and sustain local public health workforce. Uh, to support the jurisdictional COVID-19 prevention preparedness response and recovery initiatives. Um, as uh, I know, we all as a, as a city have learned quite a bit from COVID, uh, and we certainly in public health emergency preparedness as well, um, as well as the other subsequent emergency response activities. Um, and within uh, public health emergency preparedness, we have identified several staffing gaps uh, that this grant will support. These positions have been approved uh, as permanent civil service positions in the 23-24 budget. Uh, this funding will provide the initial uh, funding for those positions. And these positions are designed to help support um, agency preparedness uh, to update our plans with lessons learned from COVID, as well as to support more fluid coordination of response efforts um, to future any future public health threats. Um, as well as community resilience um, and facilitate our engagement with various community volunteer groups, CBO partners, and other stakeholders that have supported COVID activities and other health efforts to improve uh, community preparedness as a whole and to help us be better partners uh, with the community. Um, also, uh, DPH coordination with the health systems to help strengthen our system resilience and facilitate our ability to partner with these health systems to manage any future threats, including new COVID variants. Uh, and finally, the, the last position, the grants analyst, is really to help facilitate uh, applications for uh, other grant funding um, that is available to help support future preparedness work, uh, as well as for any additional COVID funding needs. Um, this work really is vital to ensure our continued success in San Francisco's COVID response, um, including in responding to any new variants, uh, as well as our readiness for any future threats. Um, this kind of an event is uh, unprecedented, hopefully is a once in a lifetime uh, event, but uh, really 
we want to make sure that we are utilizing the lessons learned um, and that we are um, better prepared and uh, and and ready for whatever comes in the future. So thank you so much for your consideration, supervisors, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Are, are, is this grant to cover, uh, or let me put it this way, are the um, positions in that re are related to this grant, are those workers already hired? So not yet. The there Those roles are being covered right now um, by some uh, people that are working out of class and people doing overtime. Um, they're really essential roles, I think, that we need to be able to expand on, uh, but they have not been hired yet. Uh, hopefully, if this grant can move forward, we'll be given the green light to be able to hire those positions. Okay, and I just note, um, you know, a continuing frustration for me is, and there was just an article about this in the Chronicle, is that it takes on average, I think, uh, I can't remember the amount of time, but a ridiculous amount of time to hire workers. So I, I wanted to ask that given the incredible amount of vacancies in the Department of Public Health, um, that I hope we can hire these workers in time to uh, relieve those people that are working out of class or through overtime. Um, and, you know, I know that the director of the Department of Human Resources is working on uh, reforms to our, our hiring process with the Civil Service Commission, but that those reforms could not come soon enough. And just wanted to make that point for the record. Thank you. Uh, no Thank more, you. It looks like there's no more questions. Mr. Clerk, can we please open this item up for public comment? Yes, Chair Wren and members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2485-887-9195, then press pound twice. Once connected, you will need to press star three to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and that will be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, uh, Mr. Lane, please unmute our caller. Francisco da Costa here. What I want to state is the last time we San Franciscans were put in dire straits. For example, early on, there were no vaccinations. Prior to that, kits that were sent were defective. So we need to do a needs assessment on those issues and focus on a very important issue, a link that was sent that couldn't be activated. And what we need to learn is that we cannot be doing business the old fashioned way. We need a digital format so that this platform can help us. Uh, the presenter, I think uh, I have a vague uh, recollection of maybe seeing her at 1800 Oakdale, where I was called to put things in order. And what I noticed was there were a lot of per diem nurses and travel nurses who did a wonderful job. 
But coming to this position, uh, the health department has not done a needs assessment. And many of the volunteers, and I know many of the volunteers who stepped up and did a good job, none of them have been recognized. At one of the city hall uh, events, Trent Raw and people of those caliber were recognized, but I never saw them in the trenches. time has elapsed. I do apologize for cutting anybody off, uh, but we are timing each speaker at two minutes. But thank you, Francisco de Costa, for your comments. And Madam Chair, we have no further speakers in the queue. Public comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion, to forward, uh, to forward this item to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Safai. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. Motion passes unanimously. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number seven? Yes, item number seven is a resolution approving for purposes of Internal Revenue Code of 1986 as amended, section 147, subsection F of the issuance and sale of revenue obligations by the California Enterprise Development Authority in an aggregate principal amount not to exceed 33 million to finance, refinance, and or reimburse the cost of acquisition, construction, installation, rehabilitation, equipping, and furnishing of various capital facilities to be owned and operated by Presidio Knoll School Incorporated. Incorporated. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 248588-79195, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A uh, system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that is your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you. And we have Keith Savini from the Office of Public Finance. Hello. Yeah, good afternoon. My name is Keith Savini from the Controller's Office of Public Finance. Uh, thank you for considering this item today. Uh, also in attendance are, uh, uh, via teams are Dave Lessing representing the bar, Presidio Knows School, uh, Bond Council, Sa Sam Belisi from QTAC Rock, and Josh Winter from Western Solutions, Inc. Uh, just as a reminder for the committee and the public, the Tax Equity and Fiscal Responsibility Act, or TEFRA, allows the tax exemption of interest on certain types of debt issued through, through joint powers authorities. In this case, the proposed financing is to be issued through California Enterprise Development Authority, or CETA, a joint powers authority to which the city and county of San Francisco is a participating member. This resolution is before you today because federal tax law requires the governing body of the jurisdiction in which the project is located to approve the financing and the project after providing the opportunity for a duly noticed public hearing. The jurisdiction itself, in this case the city and county of San Francisco, is not obligated for payment on the bonds. The payment of principal interest on the bonds shall be the sole responsibility of the borrower. Uh, hearing notice was published on the city's public notices website on September 12th. The public hearing was held by the Office of Public Finance via toll-free teleconference on September 21st, and no comments from any members of the public were heard or received through the public hearing process. Uh, the amount of the bonds uh, will not exceed $33 million. Um, the project purpose is uh, the proceeds from the sale of the bonds will be loaned to the Presidio No School 
for the following purposes. One, to refinance outstanding indebtedness incurred by the borrower. Uh, two, to finance improvements to the auditorium and gymnasium, create additional classrooms and make other improvements to the property. And three, to pay certain cost of issuance of the obligations. A little bit of background on the school itself. Uh, they are a nonprofit public benefit corporation. Uh, they opened in 2008 near the Presidio and relocated to SOMA in 2011 and received accreditation by the California Association of Independent Schools and Western Association of Schools and, and Colleges in 2019. As of the 21-2022 school year, they have an enrollment of approximately 395 students from preschool through middle school. And the project is located in District 6 and the legislation is being sponsored by Supervisor Dorsey. Approval of this legislation, again, will have no fiscal impact to the city and county of San Francisco. Uh, that concludes my comments. And um, as I mentioned, there are representatives on the call from the school and the finance team if there are any questions. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Um, it doesn't appear that there's any questions, so we can open this item up for public comment. Thank you, Chair Ronan. Uh, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up in, uh, to speak now right along the curtains. Uh, for those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 24858879195, then press pound twice. Um, you'll need to press star three to enter the speaker line, and please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that'll be your signal to begin your comments. Please step up and I'll start your time. Hello, good afternoon. My name is David Lessing. I'm the uh, Chief Financial Officer at Presidio Knowles School. And uh, as was mentioned, we have about 400 students. We're very excited to hopefully close this financing so we can actually lower our interest rate costs, which means we can actually more invest more money in um, not only uh, 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 financial aid, but also uh, into um, uh, more training for our teachers so we can offer better um, education to our students. So we appreciate um, if, we, if um, you can help us move this along quickly because we have a, an interest rate lock um, for another, I think it's uh, 15, 20 days. So any help you could uh, provide, that'd be very much appreciated. Thank you very much. Thank you, David Lessing, for your comments. Seeing no further speakers here in the chamber, Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. Um, sorry, public uh, comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Safai? Aye. Safai, aye. Member Chan? Aye. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan? Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion. Uh, noted, Mr. Vice Chair. That motion passes unanimously. Thank you so much. Uh, Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number eight? Yes, item number eight. One second, where to go? Yes, item number eight is a resolution retroactively approving the Sixth Amendment to the contract with the California Department of Parks and Recreation Division of Boating and Waterways that requires the San Francisco Recreation and Park Department to operate and maintain the improvements made to the Lake Merced Boat Dock with the uh, Division of Boating and Waterway Fund and extending the term from February 1st, 2022 for a total term of March 1st, 2015 through September 4th, 2041 pursuant to the charter hence authorized the San Francisco 
Recreation and Park Department General Manager to enter into modifications and amendments to the grant contract that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of the project or this resolution. Members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001 with a meeting ID of 2485-887-9195, then press by on uh, twice. Once connected to the meeting, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that is your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you. Um, and I'm sorry, can you also read number, uh, item number nine? Yes, Madam Chair. Item number nine is a resolution retroactively authorizing the Recreation and Park Department to accept and expand grant funding in the amount of approximately $1.5 million from the California Department's, uh, Department of Parks and Recreation for the Twin Peaks Promenade and Trails Improvement Project for the term of July 1st, 2020 through June 30th, 2025, approving the grant contract, which requires the department to maintain the project for the duration of the contract performance period from July 1st, 2020 through June 30th, 2015. Pursuant to the Charter and Authorizing Recreation and Park Department General Manager to enter the modifications and amendments to the grant contract that did not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of the project or this resolution. Madam Chair. Thank you. And we have Tony Moran here to speak on both items, or maybe you're online. Yes, um, I'm here. I on a second one. Oh, yes. I think you can see me. <laughs> All right. Um, good afternoon, Chairperson Ronan and Supervisor Chan and Supervisor Safaid. Um, the first item that we're just going to discuss is the um, the Department of Boating Waterway uh, Amendment, the grant amendment. Um, back in 2015, the department received a grant for to replace the boat dock at Lake Merced's North, North Lake. The stock is heavily used and had been in place for about 15 years at the time, so it was ready for replacement. We received a grant from the Department of Boating and Waterways to replace that dock in kind, uh, but there were some additional improvements required to the, um, the land side to, um, to provide public access. The project was completed in September of 2021. And finally closed out, the grant was closed out in February of 2020. At that time, the California State Department of Boating and Waterways provided us um, a final grant amendment that would change the grant terms to, um, to specify the terms that the department would operate and maintain the facility. Prior to that, the grant terms stated um, that we would maintain and operate for a period of 20 years from the day that the grant, the project was accepted by the state. Now those terms specify exactly that retroactively we would operate and maintain from March 1st, 2015 through September 4th, uh, 2041. The, the term, so all of the um, grants that we do apply for actually are heard by a Recreation Park Commission, and they pass resolutions um, agreeing to the terms of the grant. So um, the department's already committed to operate and maintain the facility for that period of time. Uh, that ends my presentation. Thank you. Oh, and for that sorry, grant. Yes, can, can you present on number nine as well, and then we'll take questions yes. on both? 
Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Um, so last April, uh, the department applied for a regional park program grant for Twin Peaks. We were awarded $1.9 million for the project, which includes improving three existing trails and also making improvements to um, the vacated portion of Twin Peaks Boulevard. This grant, um, since it was recently awarded, we do not have a contract yet, but the performance period is backdated to July 1st, 2020. It's standard for the state of California to backdate their grants to the date that the uh, funding was appropriated at the state level, and that's why it is retroactive. But we do, um, oh, sorry. <laughs> we do also, I'm sorry, I have a phone ringing background. Okay, we also do um, plan on recovering money from the planning costs for this project. So that's why it's retroactive. Thank you, uh, Supervisor Chan. Thank you, Chair Ronan. Just a quick clarification. I just want to understand the amended term is uh, for maintenance for the to the departments to be responsible of. I think you said September twenty from September turn uh, twenty fifteen through September twenty forty one. Is that correct? Twenty four one. Is that correct? Twenty forty one. Yes, oh. actually, it was it was backdated to the day that we um, were awarded the grant. So it included the construction period, and then it was 20 years after the state accepted the completed project. So that would be September 2021 through um, September 2041. Understood. Thank you so much for the clarification. Thank you. Um, given there's no further questions, can we please open these items up for public comment? Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now and speak. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2485-887-9195, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. Please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and there'll be a queue to begin your comments. Seeing those speakers here in the chamber, Madam Chair, we have no speakers on the telephone line. Public comment is now closed. I would like to make a motion to send items eight and nine to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion to forward both items eight and nine to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Safai. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three yes. Uh, those motions passed unanimously. Thanks, Ms. Moran. Mr. Thank you. Clerk, can you read item number 10? Yes, item number 10 uh, is an ordinance authorizing the Municipal Transportation Agency to issue uh, a request for proposals for a communications-based train control system to be awarded by a contract with a term exceeding 10 years, waiving the administrative code prohibition against issuing solicitations for a contract for general or professional services for a term longer than 10 years, authorizing use of negotiated procurement procedures, uh, stating that the award of the contract will be subject to the approval of the board uh, pursuant to the charter and adopting findings under the California Environmental Quality Act. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment on this ordinance, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2485-887-9195, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, there will be a cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you so much. And we have Joel Ramos here from MTA to uh, present. 
Good afternoon, Madam Chair, committee members, Joel Ramos from the Local Government Affairs uh, team at the SFMTA. I'm here mostly to, to apologize on behalf of Director of Transit, uh, Julie Kirschbaum, who wants to be here so bad, but unfortunately has fell under the weather, so um, she can't present um, today. But we do have uh, our esteemed colleagues and uh, really so much of the brains of, of this work. Uh, project manager Dan Howard is here. He's going to be presenting this item on our behalf. And we also have our colleague uh, Janet Gallegos, who is the principal manager for transit program delivery. And I hope I got that right, but she's one of our phone of friends. So she's virtually, and uh, she might chime in if, if, if at all possible. But uh, I'll bring up the presentation and uh, get Dan on this way. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And we wish a speedy recovery to Ms. Kirschbaum. Thank you, Chair Ronan. Uh, I'm Dan Howard. I'm the project manager for the train control update uh, project. Um, we have the slides on board. Uh, we're here before you today to um, uh, request support for an item um, authorizing us to negotiate a contract over 10 years um, and also to use the negoti negotiated procurement procedure for that uh, contract. Next slide. Uh, before we did that, I wanted to give you a quick overview of what train control is. Um, basically, a train control system is, is a computer system, um, and it's a series of computers that talk to each other. There's computers on, the, on each of the vehicles. There's a central set of computers um, in, our, um, in our offices, and then they all communicate via a, a network. Um, that train control system uh, essentially tracks the location of the trains. That's the first thing that it does. Um, and it prevents the, the collision, the trains from colliding with each other. That's, that's primarily a safety uh, certified system. Um, it also will control the trains braking, so it'll supervise the trains as they uh, go forward. Um, and then when they're in the tunnel, uh, it also would control their acceleration, and that's a, a mode that we call automatic. Um, and then the last thing that it does is it, is it sets the routing of the trains throughout the system and, and allows it to make changes through the, the junctions and switches. Um, those are pretty basic functions. And then the, the box at the bottom describes why those are important to us as, as a transit service. It enables us to basically set the frequency in the subway, how closely spaced the trains are, how many trains we can run per hour, how many people we can move per hour. Um, it also allows us to, uh, it affects our train reliability. Um, so it, it, if there are delays that are related to the train control system, then that perpetuates throughout the, the entire metro network. Um, and it also provides um, the, the ability of the train control system to provide flexibility with our service plans um, sometimes can limit our options if it's not pr pr uh, properly uh, set up. So um, sometimes we, we want to make sure that the train control system is able to accommodate all possible uh, service scenarios from when a train might be blocked at, at Hillway and Carl to um, you know, a disabled train in the subway. We want it to be able to be prepared for all those eventualities. Uh, next slide. Uh, we currently, as I mentioned, alluded to, we have a train control system in the subway. It's the ATCS. It's been in service for 25 years, and we expect that it'll be about 30 years before we are able to replace it. Um, you can see on the, the photos on the slide there, um, that is the system as it was first designed. You can see those old computers. Um, and then those floppy disks at the bottom, those are the disks that we use to load the train control system and start our subway every morning. Uh, next slide, please. 
so as you can see, we're obviously overdue for an update, um, and we want to take advantage of um, the modern technology and the advancements to technology that we've had in the last 25 to 30 years. Um, those two images at the top are from New York City MTA. They are considering, uh, they're, they're in uh, the process of updating their train control system as well. So they've got um, camera and sensor-based technologies that allow the trains to see in front of them. They've also got an ultra-wideband uh, communication system, which allows them to uh, communicate without wires, um, even, even supporting the, uh, the access points, which is exciting. Um, and then we also have the opportunity to get right some of the things, um, some of the shortcomings of the current design. Everybody's been stuck uh, waiting uh, to enter the subway at one of the portals at DeBose or um, at Ferry Portal waiting for the train to perform its entry checks. That's something that we would alleviate with this system by, uh, by expanding it to the surface. Um, some of the rider benefits that you could expect to see after this uh, system is, is implemented, um, like I mentioned, reduced delays. People are stuck. Prior to the pandemic, we had people that were stuck between stations, between Embarcadero and Montgomery, um, in, in the tunnel, not knowing when they would get out, people waiting to get into the subway. Um, so those, would, those uh, problems would largely be eliminated. Uh, we would also have reduced travel times um, on the surface, uh, on the T-line, for example, where the, where the train control system is able to communicate with traffic signals. Um, we'd also, as I mentioned, have improved reliability based on the, the, some of the train control-related system failures that we're experiencing now would no longer exist. And uh, as I mentioned, we'd also have better service um, be, being able to uh, manage the, the flexibility of the service um, by having the train, control, uh, the train controllers uh, see the entire system from a, from a bird's eye level view and be able to control munching and gaps. Uh, this is the phasing of the, of the project. Uh, as I mentioned, it's, it covers the entire Muni Metro network. We're planning to start on the surface. Um, on the Embark along the Embarcadero and down 3rd Street to uh, the MME, the Muni Metro East Yard. Um, that's to provide a, a place for us to prove that all those computers can talk to each other and work without going into the subway first. Um, the subway replacement, which you can see in yellow, is um, the most complex uh, part of the project because we have to replace an existing train control system with a new one while we're operating Muni service and try to limit the uh, amount of disruption that, we, that, that riders experience while we're doing this upgrade. And then lastly, we would expand to each one of the lines all the way to the end of the line to make sure that we have coverage all the way through. So that was just a quick primer uh, of what, what the project is, and I'm going to transition now into um, you know, some of the contracting strategy and what brings us here today. Uh, the first being that the, the project has learned a lot of lessons, uh, both from internal projects, uh, past projects, as well as international best practices. Um, we've learned lessons from Central Subway and from uh, Van Ness BRT. We've gone to um, North American transit agencies, um, of which there's a few in the United States. I mentioned New York. Uh, BART is also going through a train control system upgrade. They're a little bit ahead of us, so we're in cl close communication with the BART project management team. Um, and then we're also, we also have a lot of Canadian uh, peer agencies that are doing train control upgrades that, uh, that we communicate with, and some European examples as well. Um, we... Some of the lessons that we've brought to, uh, to this project, in addition to technological, are also related to contracting. <clears throat> so uh, one, of the contract, uh, um, one, of the, one of the benefits of the contract has been that we are, are splitting it up uh, into an installation scope and uh, a supply procurement scope. 
And the supplier procurement scope allows us to select the best CBTC supplier who offers the best system and the best terms. Um, and without letting the, uh, the, the details of installation kind of get into the, to that decision because the, the, the system itself is something that we're buying. The installation is something that numerous um, uh, small business enterprises or, um, or local contractors can perform. So once we purchase the, the system and the design, we can have local installers install it separately. Um, and along those lines, we're also planning to um, take the opportunity that we've been given, the fact that we haven't upgraded the system in a number of years, to negotiate the support terms up front. And so this is also a significant departure from how we've done business in the past. Typically, we would contract with, uh, with the um, supplier for the system, and we would leave the support till later. And then when we completed the project, we would then go back and go for a support contract, but there'd be only one bidder because only one contractor can provide support for the equipment that it designed and, and um, supported. So what we're planning to do is while they're in competition with their peers, we want to negotiate those support, position, those support terms up front so that we can get the best terms for the city. And so that's part of the reason why we're asking for the 10-year uh, the extension. Um, the other piece is um, we wanted to create, so, so I'll get into what are we asking for, and that's contractual incentives to essentially align uh, the interests of the supplier with the, um, the interests of transit riders and the MTA. Um, and what I mean by that is when we're delayed, then we want the supplier to, we, we want to pay the supplier less because we're not getting as good of a service from them. And when we're successful, then we want to pay them the full price that they're, that they're due. Um, and so there's a, different, a couple different mechanisms that we want to obtain through the negotiations, through the negotiated procurement that we'd like to try. Um, and one of those is treating the system as a technology product. If you go to the next slide. Um, sorry, we'll one more. <laughs> there we go. Um, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the um, ideas is, is, is a, treating the system as a technology product, so assuming that they're assuring that the so software provider will actually provide updates similar to your phone or your computer where you get regular updates giving you new features, addressing bugs, et cetera. Um, that's actually something that's not standard in the CBTC industry. It's something that we actually think that we're going to have to push for in contract negotiations, uh, even though it seems very standard in the modern world of 2022. So that's something that we're, that we're looking to kind of push the envelope and try to get the industry to perform. Um, the other piece is this performance-based support fee that I mentioned, where, where if we succeed, they succeed. If, if we fail, then they get paid less. And then the last element is this um, supplier parts, um, or vendor-supplied parts agreement, which is essentially the same thing where, um, just like with a car, you know, we don't want them making money off of, uh, off of selling us a lot of parts. Um, you know, we want them instead to make money when we use fewer parts. So what we've designed is a, is a system where the fee would be the same if we use 200 parts or if we use five parts um, because they'd all be coming from the supplier. Um, and so their costs would increase if they design a system that consumes a lot of parts and requires a lot of maintenance. So again, it's another um, uh, item that we think that will we'll, we'll do well for the city. Um, so why we're here today is to, um, again, request the ad, uh, that we are able to advertise uh, a support contract um, and a procurement contract together, so a contract longer than 10 years. You can see the, the terms of, the, of those individual uh, portions of the agreement on the slide, um, and also to get the uh, negotiated pro procurement provisions that we've used successfully in the past with the LRV4 project.
Um, this is just a quick overview of where we are in the uh, timeline leading up to NTP. Um, the Board of Supervisors' involvement is up there in gold. So um, one thing I want to emphasize is this will not be the last chance uh, for you to um, speak to me today. Um, well, I'll be up here probably a few times over the course of the project. Um, the next time being when we seek authorization for the contract after we've negotiated it and completed our, um, our, our uh, selection process. We'll also be back uh, to you in your, um, in your authority as the TA Commission uh, for various funding uh, pieces as well. So this is kind of the first of a, of a journey, uh, a long journey that we expect to have um, over the course of eight, ten years uh, to, to launch this project. And then lastly, just an overview of the, of the project schedule so that beginning blue bar, the light blue bar, would start at NTP. Um, those bars show where we could expect to see the first benefits of the project, um, the first being from the pilot in 2027, and then the subway replacement uh, in late 2028. Um, we would also be doing um, some of the phases out in the, um, the branches concurrently, so we would try to get those rolled out. Um, and then we have the overall uh, project budget and support costs as well. Thank you for your time, and I'm happy to answer questions. Thank you so much. I just have to say that I can't believe you, I haven't seen a floppy disk in, I mean, since high school. I can't believe you, you load the system every morning with those floppy disks. That's, that's a little scary, I have to say. <laughs> uh, Supervisor Chan. Thank you, Chair Ronan. Um, I, it's a two-part question, and one is, uh, I know you shared a summary of lessons learned, and it's very impressive. I really appreciate like, uh, just how well thought out it's been about you know, the procurement process and what we're trying to get at uh, with this exemption. And it's really well explained and what we're trying to do in order with this exemption that we can actually leverage. Um, but lessons learned, though, because you mentioned four sources, and one of them and is actually uh, existing capital projects like Central Subway and Ben SBRT. Could you just kind of give us a little bit example, like what are the lessons learned, particularly from these source? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, one of the biggest lessons that I've taken from it is, is to the importance to include uh, the input of our operations and maintenance staff early on um, and uh, in conversations with them. So we've already involved them in uh, what we called a, a stakeholder requirements um, process where we worked with them to develop all the requirements for this project. Um, and fold those into to the contract specifications themselves. That won't be that will that's only the beginning of the involvement that we expect to have with um, with operation staff and maintenance staff. Um, we've built in some some of the other things that we haven't done in the past. We've built in are um, opportunities for them like during the pilot to be able to comment and potentially affect the design. Um, that's not something that typically happens, so we're, we're building that in into the schedule, into the contract, so that there's um, the opportunity for that feedback to happen and also for us to actually do something with that feedback rather than just say thank you for your time and we've already decided. Um, and so those things we're also building in demonstrations of the software um, and, uh, and um, an extensive uh, simulator approach to the LRV4 when uh, the vehicles will be um, to, to basically allow the operators to get familiar with the system uh, before they're actually uh, required to use it. So that was a big lesson learned. 
Um, I, I think the other ones, we're, we're getting ahead of, of some of the questions. We know that we have, um, we potentially have some trenching to do um, when we launch fiber, when we, because we, we, we might have to install fiber optic cable to connect all of these sites. We know that that's something that we want to get started with now. So we, we are, we're working on the environmental for that now. We're working on as much as we can now before we have a design. And we don't want that to delay the project as, you know, digging often does in this city. Um, so that's something that we, uh, that we're also, you know, taking on board as, as lessons from our past projects. And then with this new, uh, new contract and uh, just for the, and my assumption is it's an entire train control system that is also uh, inclusive of the two newest, which is the Venice BRT and the um, Central Subway. Uh, the train control system would cover rail, so it would be central. It would include Central Subway, but not Van Ness BRT uh, because it's okay. it doesn't cover bus. On the street. Got yeah. it. Thank you. Thank you, and uh, Supervisor Safai. Yeah, I have a few questions. Um, one of the questions is, you, you put here proposed contract duration, and you say design implementation eight years, initial support ten years. Additional support terms, two five-year options. Is this, are you contemplating that this would be sent out to, there would be multiple RFPs for each phase? Um, no, Supervisor. The, the, we, would, we would put out the single RFP that we have now, and that would encompass uh, the eight-year procurement, the 10-year base support term, and then the two five-year options. So that would all be part of this current RFP. And, and I'm sorry, because you're using terms that make sense to you. They don't necessarily aren't 100% clear to everyone. What does this mean, initial support term? What does that mean? So and, once we and, and just so we're clear, design and implementation. So you're going to design the system, the control system, and then you're going to actually build it? Is that what you mean by design and implement? Yes, uh, and the reason why we didn't use construct or install is because the, uh, the construction and installation scope is outside of the scope of this contract. It would be uh, contracted out directly by MTA to one. Say that again. The, the, the installation of the system um, would not be under the scope of this contract. It would be separately contracted with a, with a local uh, business or um, uh, small business installer. The actual physical work. Correct. How long will that take? Um, the physical work, we think, yeah, we can put the schedule back up. Um, it's, it's done in phases. So the initial pilot phase, we're thinking that it's, it's about 18 months because there's a lot of proving there. Um, the subway is going to take the longest. You can see that that's, um, and that, that green bar doesn't include, that's not all 100% construction. There's a little bit of detailed design in there, but it's about, it's about two and a half years uh, of, of work in the subway. And that's mostly stretched out so that we do it in non-revenue periods so that we don't impact service. So this is, this schedule and budget is for the actual physical work? It's for the entire project. So it includes design, uh, procurement, and that's that's where I'm saying procurement means that the the supplier is going to furnish us with their proprietary equipment for others to install, and then uh, this project budget also includes the installation, which would be contracted out separately. So what's taking eight years? Eight years. So eight years is the timeline that you see on the screen. So it starts with about an 18-month system-wide design period. We also have to retrofit all of our 219 LRVs. Um, with, with the new train control system. We have to install the central equipment. Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait. <laughs> I'll go slower. <laughs> wait. No, I just heard something that I didn't like. So all these new trains that you just bought, you're going to have to retrofit them. 
Yes, because the new trains are fitted with the current uh, Talus automatic train control system. They don't, we don't have a new one yet, so um, we would have to retrofit them with the new equipment, whatever that might be. So when you're buying your LRVs, are you thinking about new technology when you buy them so that they're ready to go? Yes. However, the way that this, with the, with the vendors, a different vendor supplies the train control equipment than, than, the, than the vehicle. So it's not, um, those, and those, those vendors are not interoperable. So it, it's like, just like Apple computer stuff doesn't necessarily work with Microsoft. So the problem is, is if we have a Talus brand train control system, Talus is one of the, one of the potential bidders for this project. So if we were to go with them, then we, we would potentially be able to reuse some of their equipment. But if we go with one of the other three or four suppliers, then their, their equipment would not be compatible with the Talus equipment, and we would have to remove the Talus equipment and replace it with the supplier. Okay. Um, <clears throat> where in this project schedule, if you put it back up, where is it that you're going to be purchasing equipment? Um, where is the majority of the purchasing of the equipment happening? The equipment purchase is mostly happening inside the pilot phase. That's why Which the color? Oh, okay, the, 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 the darker blue. Uh, and that's why the pilot phase is a pretty small geographic area. It's only, you know, Embarcadero in the northern part of third. But because we're, um, we're putting, it ha we have to furnish all of the central equipment, all of the equipment for, for the vehicles. Um, so all of that get, gets folded into the pilot phase. So it's generally happening in there. Okay. And, and the reason I'm asking is because, you know, we're going through significant cost increases right now due to inflation. Have you built that into your cost estimates? Yes. Um, in fact, the, we did an industry outreach over the summer, um, uh, canvassing the, the suppliers and, and their potential concerns and reactions to some of the concepts we, pro we were proposing. And one of their chief concerns was uh, the uncertainty and rising costs um, right. of their own supply. So um, we have an escalation provision in the contract. Um, it is capped so that we can set... Um, obviously a contract value to, for, for you to approve. Um, and, but there are provisions in there based on the, um, the progression of the indices uh, for labor and materials relevant to this um, sector that we would escalate the costs um, as, they, as they increase. And so that's, we've, we've made an assumption in the project budget of about a 6% escalation, um, and that will be built into that cap. Um, and if it's less, then we would have a little bit of savings. Okay. And then, the, are, are these different years, 8, 10, 5, 2 different, are they overlapping? Are they separate? Is that, is that what you're showing here in the colors, like the, the initial design and implementation phase? That begins and looks like the beginning of 2024. Um, wh where does that end on this chart? Yes, in, Supervisor, in, for, in order to save time and not have this project be a 15-year project, we, we looked at ways that we could work in parallel. So once the pilot phase is off and running and we're re re reasonably confident in the design, we then start the subway design before the pilot is finished, and that allows us to accelerate. Um, and so the same thing is happening with that, that pink bar. Um, that encompasses all of the expansions on the L line, the K line, uh, the J, uh, and, and the other lines, those can all happen concurrently to the subway. So actually when we cut over, um, and that's switch the subway from it, from the current train control to the new one, we should probably have one or two additional lines already ready to go by that time. So there'll be a pretty big change uh, at, at 2028 when we have the subway 
uh, cut over. So, and that's just in order to save time, as you were saying. And you're saying this, this is... I'm sorry, just to, just to clarify Dan's point, the eight-year supervisor goes from I'm sorry. 2024... Can, so, oh, 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 stop, please. Can you please identify yourself? Because we don't see you on the screen, so we don't even know who's talking right now, for the record. My apologies. Um, this is Janet Gallegos, uh, Transit Program Delivery. And I just wanted to clarify your question around the eight years. Um, that goes from the pale blue in 2024 through to the end of 2031, the pink bar. So it encompasses that procurement, the first, those first four lines are the procurement. I just wanted to clarify that because I think that was the question you were asking. And then we have the support after that. That was a piece of what I was asking. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Um, but I also am trying try to understand the way you presented it. What is the actual term of this contract if these are overlapping? What's the final term? Uh, the well, final they, they are going to put it out for RFP. Yeah. Uh, the final term is 30 years. A 30-year contract. Yeah. Whoa. Have we ever approved a 30-year contract in this body? I don't think so. Madam City Attorney, I don't. Not that I can recall. Yeah, that's but it, it's certainly strange. possible. Um, we could take a look in the board files and see if we could figure out what the longest contract is. Maybe through the chair to the BLA. Um, the, the board there has approved leases of several decades for property. For yeah. Property. Right. But an actual construction contract for thirty years. I think that there's typically limits to for those contracts to be only 10 years. That's why they need this right. waiver. So what is the reason why you're asking us for a 30-year? I'm sorry. I just, I just want to say this for a record. You know, sometimes when we're dealing with the MTA, I understand you've learned lessons on Third Street. I understand you learned lessons on Van SBRT. But I don't know if I, I – this is the first I'm hearing of this. I, I think this might require further conversation. Uh, but a 30-year contract request is – significant, particularly when there's no precedent for it. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yes, Supervisor, thank you for the question. So just to clarify, the construction portion of this or procurement portion of this is only eight years. The remaining, uh, then there's a 10-year period where we're, where we're getting support from the vendor. So it's, it's like the, all the installation has already been installed. Um, we've already, that, that basically piece is, t is, taken, is taken away. And now we're contracting them for support, which is software updates. It's providing parts and technical support for their system. It's something that only the train control system supplier can provide. And as I mentioned, what we've done in the past, because we have a current contract with our current train control supplier, what we've done in the past is we've contracted them for the construction and the procurement, and then that contract gets closed and it's over, and it's a you know, five, eight-year contract. And then we, then we go back and we do a separate contract for support. And that support contract is always sole source because there's only one bidder and it can only be the supplier. And so what we're trying, the lesson that we're trying to, to learn or to, to, um, to heed is that um, when we come back to that supplier for the negotiations on the support terms, they know they've got us, right? They know that they have nowhere else to go and, and we cannot dictate any type of terms to, for them. So what we're trying to do is, by lengthening the, the term of this agreement, we're trying to 
have them uh, basically negotiate with them up front while they're in competition with their peers so that they have some sort of motivation to give us better terms. And there are specific terms, like I mentioned, that we really want to try to get that we've gone to our current train control supplier and they've said no. Um, and so that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're trying to achieve with this. What, what's the downside of doing that? I mean, again, what is the reason why only, you only have one bidder on the... Is it because it's proprietary software? Yes, proprietary so software so, and hardware. So we're locking ourselves into one company with one set of software, with one set of hardware. Yes. Why? I'm sorry. I actually have the exact question to Supervisor Safai. I agree. Um, the, the way I... I've, I Two ways side the way. One way I understand it, and, and I want to explain, I agree, the, the skepticism. Um, the way I see it is that we've been purchasing product softwares, in this case, train control system, without warranty. We basically bought, or we bought them, we say we're good, and then we realize when we need repair or upgrade, we then have to go out, but in this case, we actually essentially still lock in with the same, per same vendors. And so in this case, we're saying providing you the exemption of 9 .1, Charter 9.118 to allow you to go out to beyond the terms of a, just the purchase of the system to also allow you to negotiate terms and condition for warranty kind, kind of thing, so that it, which allows us to compete for a better warranty condition, perhaps is, I don't know, free upgrades and free repairs, and in this case, I think you mentioned earlier about the parts, because in the, in the existing situation, we then, the, the, the vendors knows that the more parts they have to sell us, the more profits they're making, but we're saying whether in this, procurement process, we're saying, hey, whether it's five parts or 20 parts, we're paying you in the same rates in the warranty period. I do agree with Supervisor Safai's skepticism, and I agree with that. I think I have expressed that sentiments in our briefing, too, is that, well, then we are taking a very long-term risk. We better make sure that whoever that we're actually end up choosing and picking that is actually going to be a winner for the long term, and this company or this vendor doesn't bankrupt or doesn't fall behind does, you know, with their uh, technology in any way, and that they actually stay truly the competitor of the field. So I think that is actually the skepticism, and I share that sentiment. So um, I, I just want to say that out loud. Thank you. Uh, thanks. Uh, who who did you um, who do you work with when you're putting your contracts together or your proposed contracts? You mean like a consultant no, or I'm, whomever? Do you work with the contracting department, the city administrator? Do you have an internal contracting division? Who is it that you're working with? Uh, you said you had lessons learned. You're taking those lessons. I'm, I'm trying to get an idea of all of it. Yeah, um, thank you for the question. Uh, the, we work, we've worked with a lot of um, different parts of the, the city and with outside consultants. So uh, we've worked with the city's risk manager. Um, we've worked very closely with the city attorney's office in developing the scope for this. Um, and, uh, and we've worked with our own internal contracts and procurement um, organization within MTA, who is then in, in uh, conversation with the contracts and procurement for the city. Um, we also have, uh, we've had a few different consultants um, providing us with uh, advice um, on uh, what other agencies have done. So we, like I said, we, we've uh, 
closely followed what BART has done, um, and so we've been we've been following their uh, um, process, and we've also um, we've also consulted with a number of, of international and, and and U.S. agencies. Yeah, um, that's good. Thank you for that. I um, I understand the argument. It sounds sounds like a solid argument. Why you would want to extend the contract, knowing that from the past you had to then go back to the vendor to negotiate um, since they're giving you proprietary software and equipment. I would say I would hope that you would have built into the contract a certain level of, as Rosa Chen uh, no, uh, referenced, replacement that would be subject to them. There's terms and, and a length of time that their equipment can't fail without it being their responsibility, not our responsibility. I don't, I don't know. I mean, since you're asking us at this point to give you, you know, blank check to give that level of uh, authority to you that goes beyond a 10-year period, you know, I still have a lot more questions personally, but I, I don't want to hold up the, the conversation today. We still have a few more things. I think this might require further conversation. It might require you to bring some of the people in from your team to present so we can get into a little bit more of the minute details on this since you're asking us to do something that we've never done before. That's just my opinion. Madam Chair, may I address the... Um, yes, please. Thanks. Uh, on, the, on the item, I just wanted to clarify as well, on the item of holding the supplier accountable, that's a, a chief motivation that we have for this contracting process and one that we think the 10-year exemption will enable. The reason being, uh, currently, we don't have what's called a performance-based specification with our supplier, meaning that um, we would hold the supplier accountable uh, for the performance of the system. So if it's causing delays in the subway, um, we, they, they're, they're required to meet a certain level of performance that's measured every month. Um, the new innovation that, that we haven't done before is to basically ding off um, uh, amounts off of their monthly payment um, for support if they don't meet those requirements um, up to a certain level and then we have other provisions if they're still not meeting it. So um, in order to, we've, we've approached our current vendor with a scheme like that and like I said, in a sole source environment, they just said nope. Um, so that's something that we hope to achieve through negotiation because that's a support term that would only apply to after the system has been constructed, which would be after the eight years and into that 10-year agreement. So in order to negotiate that, we, we have to be able to talk about what happens in the 10 years after the, the system is delivered right now so that we can negotiate that. And that's, that's why we're asking for the, for the 10 years, is, is not necessarily to, to circumvent any process, but actually to allow us to negotiate with the supplier about what comes after they deliver it. Because right now, without the 10-year exemption, we're not able to talk to them about that because it's outside of their scope. And so they'll just say, oh, well, that's for another day. We'll, we'll talk about that in 10 years. And then by that time, we're, we're locked. We're at their mercy is really what we're trying to get away from. Supervisor Safe, I'm just wondering what additional information you're, you're looking for if we continue this. I mean, some of that, I mean, I'd like to know the, I'd like to know the process by which they went through con constructing this, who they consulted. I'd like to know what some of the other municipalities around the country do. I mean, it's the first I've heard that's proprietary software, proprietary equipment. I find that fascinating. 
Um, seems to me like that sounds like a racket, to be honest with you. Um, and then they lock you in, and then their stuff starts to break, and then we're like, sorry, that's on you. You need to replace. So there's a, there's a lot more questions that I have. I mean, I know that, again, we talked a little bit about inflation costs. There's a lot of cost escalation that's happening. I, I understand packaging the whole deal together to lock them in. Has that ever been done in other municipalities, and has it been effective? What are some of the pitfalls that go along with that? Maybe there's some advantages, disadvantages. I think there's a lot more questions. And I just, I know that we have other items on the agenda today. Um, I, I know that you're, I know Director Kirschbaum <coughs> tried to reach out to me on Monday to have a conversation. Uh, but Monday and Tuesdays are really busy for us prior to this committee hearing. And I know, uh, I know the, you all tried to put together a detail, but there's a lot of information here, a lot of questions, and I'm, I'm, I'm not prepared to give that authority away without having a more detailed response, personally. That sounds reasonable to me, and given what a long process you have before you, I'm sure a, a week or two won't, won't, won't make a major difference here. So um, uh, if you wanted to make that motion after public comment, sure. then I'm, I'm happy to support you. And and, and it looks like Supervisor and Chan is... Madam right. Chair, we, we would be happy to, to accommodate an extension to properly brief Supervisor Safi. We have, like, like you said, it's, it's a long contract and it's a huge investment and you all should have absolutely the, the best information possible before making that decision. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. If we could now open this item up for public comment. Thank you, Madam Chair. Members of the public who wish to speak on this item or joining us in person should line up now to speak. Uh, for those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the beating ID of 2485-887-9195, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and it will be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, uh, Mr. Lamb, if you can unmute our first caller. Francisco da Costa, what I want to say is we've reached a time where we don't have a person like Ed Raskin or Mike Haley. So with this new head of MTA, uh, Tomlin, you will see such things coming before you, dubious in nature. And I agree, we do not have to deal with proprietary contracts when we have so much going on all over the world. In the past, we've gone to Italy. We've gone to Canada. This is for the Board of Supervisors to have somebody do a needs assessment and report to you all, rather than bring a gentleman over there and uh, chew his ass. It's not his fault. He's told what to do by the director. And we don't have anybody on the Board of Supervisors who is an engineer or understands transportation issues. They just like say uh, some questions in, in generalities. But this is a problem. Next year we'll have the recession for sure. If you're following what is happening in our world, 
Thank you very much. Thank you much, Francisco DaCosta, for your comments. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Can you hear me now? Yes. Great, uh, David Pilpel. <clears throat> so on uh, this item, there may be some benefits from the train control uh, upgrade project, but uh, it does not replace transit planning or the rail service plan that uh, MTA has been promising. I'm wondering if there's already been an RFI or an RFQ. Uh, I hope there is a level of interest from more than one potential uh, supplier or vendor so that this does not end up as a, a sole source uh, arrangement. Um, this project should not facilitate forced passenger transfers at Church and Market or West Portal, nor allow three car trains on the N Judah or elsewhere on the street. Um, I have no uh, specific uh, concerns on the contracting approach that staff has uh, proposed here. The world is more integrated now. Facilities, vehicle, and technology projects, which used to be in separate worlds, are not as separate uh, as they have been in the past. They all rely on each other, and so when you upgrade one, then you necessarily have to uh, upgrade uh, the others. That's uh, why the uh, Siemens cars would have to be uh, retrofitted with the new um, uh, CBTC uh, here. I can follow up with appropriate MTA staff on any other comments or questions uh, that I might have. I appreciate the questions and concerns of the committee. I think the uh, slide number nine that MTA presented um, starts to explain the, their contracting strategy with the supplier, the installer, and the consultant, and I think they could better explain the various uh, components of that and their uh, intended approach here. This is a, an extremely complicated uh, a, a project with lots of uh, moving uh, parts, uh, computers, technology, uh, in wayside controls, uh, vehicles, uh, monitoring, Simon, central Mr. control. Uh, Mr. Lamb, do we have any more speakers? Uh, Madam Chair, that concludes our queue. That concludes our queue. I'm so sorry. Public comment is now closed. Supervisor Safai. Thank you. Um, I, I appreciate the presentation today. I think it started a good conversation. Since we're contemplating a three-decade-long uh, contract, I think we should give this a little bit more time. Uh, it might be beneficial to bring some of the additional people that you work with, um, some of the consultants, some of the commissioners that have weighed in on this. I know Director Kirschbaum is not feeling well. Other people from your team. I think this requires a whole kind of full-fledged uh, presentation. I'd certainly like to know what other systems in the world um, are using this type of technology, what their track records have been, what their replacement costs have been. You know, this is a, one of those things where you're installing and doing and the technology is changing. Is there a, you know, a subsection of your contract that says as the technology advances, they will upgrade it, is there shared cost? There's so many questions that have arisen today. Um, I, and, and as we've heard from some of the callers, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is have an, a, a, an efficient, well-operating system. 
that doesn't malfunction, doesn't break down, doesn't slow ridership and discourage people from participating in public transportation. Um, I, I was just on your light rail last week with my daughter. Um, everything went great. It was phenomenal. She, you know, she's riding it on her own on a daily, you know, multiple times a week basis. It, the system is going great, uh, I think. But we also don't want, <laughs> you know, we, we, we're spending a lot, we're going to spend a lot of money on this uh, system. And, you know, some of the things I heard today, I heard for the first time. So I would make a motion to continue this next month, uh, maybe November the 16th, give you guys time to come in and talk with our uh, other committee members. You can brief us. Um, then we have, might have follow-up questions um, from that time. Seems to me like, is there a particular timeline you're on before you're going out to RFP? This looks like it's not beginning until the beginning of 2024 anyway. In order to meet that timeline, we, we would need to issue the RFP in um, January of next year. Um, so we have, a, we have a little bit of time. Um, I, I, I would actually... By that time, we'll have all of our questions resolved. Good. I, I would actually also um, just forward that um, we'd be prepared to, to brief you earlier than that. Um, oh, no. That's the time that you can brief okay. us before we come back Understood. to the committee to vote. Okay. So we're giving you the time to get on our respective schedules put your teams together in the midst of everything that's happening. Thank you. Yeah, we can, we can accommodate that. Thank you. So I'll make a motion to continue this item to the November 16th hearing. On that motion by, uh, on that motion by Vice Chair Safai that this ordinance be continued to the November 16th meeting of this committee. Vice Chair Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. That motion passes unanimously. Thank you so much for, for the presentations, and we look forward to, to learning more shortly. Uh, Mr. Clerk, will you please call item number 11? Yes, item number 11 is a resolution approving the Seventh Amendment to the contract between the Municipal Transportation Agency and Texco LLC for services related to the towing, storage, and disposal of abandoned and illegally parked vehicles to increase the contract amount by $49 million for a total contract amount not to exceed uh, $137.2 million for the balance of the second year and the last three years of the five-year extension, effective upon approval of this resolution. How members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2485 8879195 press pound twice once connected press star 3 to enter the speaker line a system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted there will be your signal to begin your comments madam chair yes thank you um, and both supervisor chan and i have some amendments we'd like to present on this but first we'd be happy to hear from Ms. L Lorraine Fuquay uh, from our Ms. Fuquay. Uh, as our project manager yes Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Chair Ronan. Good afternoon, Supervisor Chan. And good afternoon, uh, Supervisor Safai. And thank you uh, in advance for your sponsorship of what can be a very interesting item. Uh, my name is Lorraine Fuquay. I'm currently Acting Parking Contracts and Other Services Manager. Uh, streets Division under Ted Graff. Um, give you a quick overview of where we are with the contract. Uh, in February 2021, 
We um, brought before you the third amendment, which extended the agreement for an additional five years beyond the base term of five years. Um, we requested funding, however, for only two of the five years. We were in the heart of the pandemic, and um, you know we just weren't sure what was going to happen in terms of tow volume and towing needs. So we asked for a total of $22.8 million, uh, which was approved by both boards. So it's two years later. We're coming to you with the Seventh Amendment, and we are hoping to receive funding for the remaining three months of the current year that we're in now, seventh year. Um, when we projected out what we would uh, be towing, uh, we fell short. We've actually recovered to about 80% which is a little, uh, and did it a little faster than we expected. Uh, so the funding again would be for three months plus the three years remaining on the agreement. Uh, the agency plans to issue a request for proposals uh, in probably fall 2023 uh, to get a contract award prior to the March 2026 expiration of the agreement. I uh, wanted to give you a little bit more information about how our RFP process works. I'm sure you've heard it, but some people may not, um, may not know. There are basically four main, four main um, shall we say, stages. We have development and the release of the RFP, uh, which we, again, are projecting would take about a month to a year. Some of that timing is, depending, is dependent on pending litigation that we have going on. Um, so that's our best estimate. Uh, that period usually ends with the MTA board authorizing the release of the RFP or request for proposals. Um, that leads us to phase two, where the uh, vendors develop their proposals. They submit them. We confirm uh, all proposals submitted for eligibility. We put together an evaluation panel that reviews the proposals, discusses them, uh, does the scoring, and then at that point uh, we can notify the uh, proposer that was the highest uh, responsive and responsible. Now at that point there may be, um, and often with large contracts, there are protests which can delay things uh, from about four to six months depending on the complexity. Um, once we get through that, either way, then we do negotiations, and that can also take up to six months. Then finally, we have a contract which we can bring back to both the MTA board and yourselves. That usually takes two to three months, and then if there is a change in uh, the contractor, then we usually like to have about three to six months to do a transition. So best case scenario takes about 22 months. Uh, longer scenario would be up to 33 months. Um, I'm trying to stick to the three minutes that uh, Chair Ronan requested. So I'm gonna wind it up with reasons to fund. Um, number one, there was a five-year extension that was approved, which would bring the contract to March 2026, but we do need to pay for it. Uh, the current agreement limits the contractor 
uh, to annual cost increases, consumer price index increases, a maximum of 3%. If we were to go out to bid now, it's very doubtful we would be able to get um, that good a price. Right. Number two, the contractor is just a really good contractor. Um, for some of their KPIs, their daily deposits, they're always on time, within 24 hours. Uh, they have a 93% on-time arrival for PCOs and SFPD who have to stay with the vehicle until it is towed away. Uh, the requirement is 90% arrival time, 35 minutes uh, when uh, during commute times, and 25 minutes non-commute. Um, they have a 20% subcontracting requirement. They are going closer to 40%. Um, working in their favor is that we have a lot of locally based uh, tow truck firms which enable them to um, uh, really do a slam dunk on that particular. And they've had three over the years of the contract uh, successful negotiations with Teamsters Local 665 for collective bargaining agreements. And then finally, in general, the towing program is necessary. It's vital to maintain transit reliability and traffic safety, especially during commute times. It removes vehicles from, from blocked driveways, which happens a lot in the city. We're very, very population dense. And it also uh, removes vehicles involved in crimes, accidents, and abandoned vehicles, often on behalf of SFPD. Uh, so that's that's my three minutes. I uh, and uh, my colleagues are open for any questions. And thank you for listening. Thank you so much. And we'll next hear from the budget and legislative analyst. Thank you. Item eleven is a resolution approving the Seventh Amendment to MTA's agreement with Tegsco doing business as auto return. The amendment increases the not to exceed amount. Um, from 88.2 to 137.2 million dollars, um, which as was noted by the department just now, um, is to fund the remaining term that was approved by the Board of Supervisors through March 2026. We showed the basis for the increase in the not to exceed amount on page 25 of our report. Um, and I also just wanna note that, you know, when this was last at the board, there was um, a lot of discussion about the towing program and for that reason we had recommended that the department uh, do an analysis of the tow program's costs um, and re report back to the Board of Supervisors. You can see on page 26 of our report the different cost components of the tow program which include this contract, this, uh, the subject of this resolution, rent that the MTA pays on the two lots where the vehicles go after they're towed, and then the MTA's own costs for doing parking enforcement and contract administration. Um, the MTA came back with a cost analysis, which was distributed to the board this summer, which we reviewed and summarized in our report. Uh, the analysis really focused on the contract um, and didn't find any opportunities for cost savings. I think that there's um, opportunity to do more analysis on costs related to the tow program, you know, whether it makes sense for the MTA to purchase land to reduce those rental costs that you see here listed in the table and also evaluate its own internal costs, whether the staffing for enforcement is appropriate, um, whether the overhead rates of the agency are appropriate. Um, and that really matters because 
This program is a fee recovery program. The fees, you know, hit anyone who's been towed. The board's asked for waivers over the years. The waivers have been applied for people who are low income, who are victims of vehicle theft, who are unhoused. Um, and that erodes uh, sort of the revenues that are collected by, by the program, which means that the, there's a net cost to the MTA for this program. Um, you can see in this table it's about $6 million a year. That's money that can be used for other transportation uses, such as transit, street safety improvements, bike lanes, right? So it, they, you know, those unfunded waivers um, and unexamined costs actually matter, right? Um, and so I think that there's an opportunity to do more analysis that could potentially yield some savings, um, which again could be, could be, could result in lower fees overall um, or less net revenues eaten um, by this program. So based on the analysis from MTA about the contract, we do think it makes sense to approve this resolution to fund the remainder of the term, but we all are also recommending that the board could request further analysis on the MTA side costs of the program for the reasons I just discussed. Thank you so much. Supervisor Chan. Thank you, um, Chair Ronan. I, I think with that, you know, just looking at the BLA recommendations and just I, I think we, we did actually have this tow, towing policy conversation at full board last, uh, I want to say last year, but maybe it's, it's not. Um, but I think that we had, quite, we had questions about whether it's necessary. And I think especially seeing how SFMTA themselves actually have to subsidize the, the as, certain aspects, it is particularly the fee waiver program um, for this towing program. And I think that there ought to be a questions and conversation about whether that makes sense or not. And maybe it's actually something by tweaking the policy itself that we will no longer need to subsidize that. I don't know like what that looks like and, then, and, and what I really urge is for SFMTA. And I think we have done that in the past, especially just to while we agree and have approved the remaining of the five-year term uh, of the um, contract, we also have agreed to release two years and just a funding so that we can continue this conversation about towing policy. I do understand that there are the challenges that, you know, brought upon SFMTA both because of the pandemic and the lawsuit uh, that's still pending that we may have some limitation about how we can really uh, establish and re-evaluate the policy. But I really would love for SFMTA to continue an earnest effort, um, perhaps finding a way to create a working group, including, you know, workers that are, that are actually on the front line to actually help us identify and figure out, shape the policy a bit better, um, that we, we may be able to reconsider certain way we approach the policy. Um, and with that said, you know, and I, and thank you for the presentation and helping us understand, you know, where you're at, because we do see you have to go for an RFP uh, rather quickly um, and, and have to actually go out. And, but I think that it is best for an RFP to, to base on policy. 
um, it, it's not just an RFP because I think like BLA has just mentioned that a lot of the cost that goes with this really could actually be associated or and based on policy. So if you change and tweak the policy, perhaps then that you will find cost saving. But most importantly, I think that in the mindset of how this board has consistently pushed for fee waiver because of equity, that we ask SFMTA to consider both at cost saving, but you know, most importantly, really the equity issue around towing policy. So with that, I am proposing uh, amendments to this, uh, which I really appreciate the SFMTA team have, um, you know, have this discussion. I, I think that I could say that they kind of reluctantly agree to it, <laughs> but I still appreciate that they there was a respectful conversation. Um, the idea is to uh, increase the contract only for the next um, uh, three years through March 2025, uh, with a total dollar approximately a dollar amount of 33.2 million dollars. Um, so it would be uh, again to increase the contract amount by approximately 33.2 million dollars instead of 49 million for a total contract amount not to exceed a total of 121 million and 400 thousand dollars for the balance of the second year and um, through. March 2025, uh, effective upon approval of this resolution. And so that will be my amendment proposed today with the goal that would give us all of us some time. Um, as the governor has mentioned that he is lifting the public health emergency for the entire state in February 2023, um, perhaps allow us to uh, process with the working group in earnest to figure out a towing policy that is equitable and just for San Francisco. But also, you know, I, I think that there is a balanced approach. I absolutely agree the hazard hazard that, you know, for people who blocking driveway, blocking bike lane, block, blocking bus stops, like those are really problematic, you know, for, for the city. In fact, for safety of our bus riders, cyclists. So with that, thank you. And I urge to have your support, colleagues. Supervisor Safagi. So uh, I understand the spirit of what you're asking for, Super, uh, Supervisor Chan. My question would be to the MTA, um, reducing the, if you could come back up, whoever wants to speak on that. Probably not you, Hoel. Sorry. Um, so the question is, by reducing, is there a cost savings that is built in now? I think I heard the presenter say, that this is a cost that we would not be able to get today given escalation, given price adjustments, given inflation. If we reduce the size of it, we're, are we losing out on an opportunity to cost savings for the entire term of the contract? Yeah, to answer your question directly, no, as I understand, the amendment as proposed would just be to fund the next two, approximately two years and three months. So we still have the contract locked. The term is still locked. But you'd be oh, able we're to only funding, funding, so we're not reducing. Yeah, so we we, we yeah. keep the option. Correct. Okay. All right. So that was my first question. Um, the the second thing is, and and I appreciate the BLA highlighting for us some of the some of the questions that were left unanswered. Um, I would like to know. I mean, you 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 reference Nick through the chair six million dollars. Where are you referring to there? Because I see three point six. For those that are involved in crimes and storage from the police department, and then I see another 4.8 for first time. Is it those two numbers together? 
Okay, I'm sorry. So through the chair, so Supervisor Safai, the, the numbers you're referencing are the estimated annual cost of two different of families waivers. of waivers. Right. The, you know, for low-income, broadly And your six people. million is what it operates in deficit. Yeah, and if you look on page 26 of our report, you can see the different components of the program costs, um, and then the tow revenues, which are the fees that are collected from people who are towed, and and their uh, cars stored in the lots. And so that six million is really that like net number, right? Mm-hmm. The net cost program. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So the cost of the program. And then you're saying if you put that against the fee waivers, it would you would be operating and you would not be in a deficit if you were to totally eliminate those. They say that in your report. It could Correct. Be, it could be okay. So so one thing that I would like to know also is um, we are paying rent. That is a significant cost uh, for the facility itself. It's about $3 million a year, over three. Well, it starts out, the actual cost was started out two, and then it's escalated, projected at 3.7. Um, that's something that's not answered in the uh, analysis that you, were, that you had given to us. Is there the possibility of looking at a facility that you wouldn't be paying rent to reduce that cost of the program? Supervisor, the yeah, simple answer to that is yes. Uh, we are going to kick off a process actually this week to review our options. Um, as you know, real estate is relatively expensive, so purchasing new, new real estate in the city, um, we'd have to take a look at that, the financials, identify the space needed, uh, and come back with, with what would make, make sense. Um, but yeah, that, that, that is an opportunity. That is something that we'd like to hear. I mean, or repurposing some of your existing space that might be underutilized. Correct. Or other city space yeah. where you could reduce the cost of rent. And um, I so, think, think so the real balance there, too, is also to, if we look outside the city rather than in the city where we have a, a pretty good um, rental rate at our 7th Street lot, for example, um, we may be forced to look outside or, or farther from the city core, which could reduce... Um, customer service, which right now, if someone is towed in the, in the, in the say, the CB, they're able to go to the tow yard rather quickly rather than have to travel to South San Francisco or some other area. Just just want to, that'll be part of analysis too, is, is weighing the pros and cons of, of that. Yeah, I wasn't asking for you to take it out of the city. I just said looking for additional space sure. or space that the city might have. Um, and then the other thing is, um, what percentage... I don't get an. I don't. It's not clear in this report, but it says about almost four million dollars are for first time people that are towed for the first time. So if I get towed and I show up and I'm like, this is my first time, how do you verify that? I mean, probably you have the registration, the car, and the system. They show up, but can it be the same vehicle but different driver, or is it just the vehicle? I, I believe it has to be. It's the it's the person. It's not the vehicle, as I recall. Let me verify that. Is that correct? It, and I'll just want to add on to that question. How do you verify if the person's low income? Because it's not for question. everyone. Yeah. That was my second. That was going to be my second question. So okay. So the first question. Uh, I'm sorry. I, you said first time tow is waived. How is that verified? I believe that's verified through the registered owner. Okay. And uh, you know, combination of registered owner and license, and then. The and the second question is, how are you 
verifying low-income waivers? So when a person comes in, they may not have, there is documentation that you can show them. Um, you know, that, uh, and I apologize, the, the specifics, um, like an EBT card or uh, Medicare card, or I believe two of them. So if they have that information there, then that can go toward um, showing that they're part of a program that would fall under low income. If they do not have that information, then they, the vehicle stays until they've obtained that information. And if that takes a few days, if it's low income, then there are up to 15 days that you have to, um, to prove that and you can uh, then uh, request a refund. If you need to take the vehicle immediately, you still have to pay, but then you can um, sign up for a refund. We have a full process going on um, uh, through, our, through my team uh, that deals with uh, refunds on a daily basis. And you can also opt to request a hearing and if the hearing folks determine that the, that the uh, toe was an error, then that's also an option for you. And, and then my next question is regarding uh, the police department. I understand why some of the fees would be waived, particularly when it comes if, like, your vehicle's stolen mm -hmm. and then vehicle's yes. found and then you have to show up and retrieve that vehicle. Boy, that would be a double whammy to have to pay for the... I, so that makes sense to me, mm -hmm. but... Someone that's drunk driving, a suspended license, expired registration, or other criminal activity, who, who's paying for that? So it's, for, it like, for it vehicles like towed for crimes, such as the ones that come to mind are, are DUI and sideshows. Um, well, sideshows, I know that they have to pay. Those, uh, I wrote that law. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, we made sure that they had to pay. <laughs> yeah, so vehicles towed for crime are not subject to the waiver, to the waiver program. Oh, okay. So in other words, like if they were to say, hey, uh, you know, I got my vehicle out, but I'm low income. Uh, if we have a record that it was towed for crime, they're immediately told uh, that they are not eligible. Okay, so hold on. So let me ask... Uh, Mr. Bernard, because I'm looking at your footnote here, and I know we talked about this on Monday. Can you explain, because it says, according to the MTA memo to the Board of Supervisors, police department requests account for 20% of the tows, which include vehicles for accidents, expired registration, stolen vehicles, drunk driving, suspended license, and other crimes. Uh, yeah, so through the chair, that was based on the police department's presentation to the MTA board describing that they don't pay for like vehicle storage when ve like they need a vehicle to be stored as evidence and they, it takes months for you know for a criminal investigation and then you know the entire criminal justice system has to weigh in so they don't what? pay for those they don't pay for the storage fees for example in that case I don't know maybe I think the department can best speak to when a vehicle owner pays versus, you know, the, you know, the police don't pay and the MTA just picks it up. I, but. I get it. I'm only going based on the information that you provide in footnote 10 on page 27 mm -hmm. that it says, according to an MTA memo to the Board of Supervisors, and then it talks about police requests, and then it goes on to talk about that when you add all the different requests up that the police have that are involved, the police department, 
and ends up being over 4.8 million, excuse me, 3.6 million. So that might include um, the crimes we've already talked about. There's another category when a vehicle is towed uh, because, for want of a better word, it participated in the crime, a major crime. So perhaps the car was shot up or somebody was killled in, <coughs> in the car or things no, no, of that I, nature. I, the, I understand oh. what you're saying. Oh, what, okay. I, what I'm trying to get at is if this, is, this program's operating at a cost to the citizenry to cost public transportation mm -hmm. six million dollars a year. I think it's a valuable service. Mm -hmm. When I read here that 800 vehicles are in MTA impound at the request of the police department, that's a significant cost yes. that the MTA is paying for. And I'm not sure if the vehicle owner is having that waived or not being recovered from, or the police department is not participating. It seems like a ho cost is being hoisted on to the MTA. I'm just trying to get to the bottom of that. We might not have those answers here today, but mm -hmm. we definitely need to. And it's the reason I cut you off about the sideshows is because in the beginning, we found out that people would show up and say, that's why I'm asking about low income. They'd mm -hmm. say, oh, I can't pay for this. I I I'm low income. Right. And they were, getting, they were getting their cars back immediately. So it was not a deterrent in any way mm -hmm. to being involved in the sideshow and having your car taken and impounded for 15 days. We've subsequently rectified that with the city attorney, the police department, working with the MTA and, and director um, uh, of Liverpool Street. So we, we've worked on that. But I, I'm, I'm concerned that there's a lot of cost being put on the MTA, and there, there doesn't seem to be a, a clear answer. The LA is saying one thing, your memo says another thing, police right. department's not here, and all I can see is that there's $3.6 million in cost that's being handed over to the, to the Transportation Authority, and this is operating at a cost of $6 million, to the BLA's point, that's taking away money from other transportation-related services. So I am, I, you're, I am in support of oh, this contract. I'm in support of doing this work. There's a lot of good things that are involved in this contract, and this is a good union contractor. This is someone that's been responsive to the city and costs that are being you know, negotiated today that are cost-effective. But th this seems to be a, a source of confusion still, um, and I'd like to have that clarified. Uh, we will definitely uh, do more research for you on that and get back to you on uh, when we're discussing the policy. Um, there is one thing I would like to point out, which is that although uh, SFPD does do a significant portion of the tows, they do not, all the admin fees do come to the agency, whether the vehicle is towed by SFMTA and police. So. Again, okay. part of the puzzle, but worth noting. Okay, thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you, Chair. Sure. Um, you know, obviously, this topic, every time it comes to the Board of Supervisors, provokes an extensive conversation. It's not, it's not easy for a number of reasons. Um, you know, the fact that we know that many homeless individuals live in their cars and so are, you know, much more subject than those who have a home to 
you know, all kinds of vehicle violations, including towing, uh, you know, the saying that it's expensive to be poor, uh, you know, people don't often have access to garages and, and safe places to store their vehicle and so are, you know, more subject to tows. Uh, just the high costs, the fact that, you know, it, it, it just instinctually kills all of us when we are thinking that MTA is subsidizing towing, um, you know, the violation of laws by, by others, and we're subsidizing that in or, and taking away money uh, from public transportation, um, you know, this issue of not owning the land, so having to pay so much rent, all of these issues. And so, uh, in addition, I, I, I'm in favor of Supervisor Chan's amendment because I just think we need more public dialogue of and, and, and involvement of this board at every step of the way as the MTA is trying to figure out all these complicated issues and, 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 and struggles. And, you know, I'm glad we have the waiver programs we have. Um, I, you know, I've had my car towed in the past and it's, the sticker shock is unbelievable. <laughs> it's so expensive. Um, and so, you know, I've always thought, you know, with all of these fines and fees, we they should be income dependent. Period. But then, how would you operationalize that? I, you know, it's 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 very. There, there's just so many so many questions. And so, in addition to Supervisor Chan's amendment, um, I did talk to Mr. McGuire and um, asked that if the MTA, during the creation of the RFP and the policy that will guide the the RFP, if you could give the board quarterly written reports, um, mostly because we've had these conversations over and over again and don't ever seem to get anywhere, like move forward. And so the next time it comes before the board, we have the same conversations with no resolution. And so it would be great to, to be more involved in the process as it goes forward. Um, and so uh, I'm going to introduce an amendment that I passed out. Uh, that would basically, um, uh, page three, lines four and five, um, it, you know, noting that the MTA is committed uh, to a reexamination of, of the towing policy, um, and that policy will inform the creation of any new RFPs. And then finally on page four, lines one through three, that the MTA will report quarterly in writing to the Board of Supervisors, Budget and Finance Committee on staff progress on the reexamination of the towing policy. Um, I, I just, I just, next, when, when you come for that money for that fifth year of the contract, or when that new RFP goes out, I just, I, I, I want us to, to have done some work in between uh, so that we, we, we finally get some resolution on, uh, on these topics. Um, so with that, let's open this item up for public comment and then we will uh, take a vote on the, on the items. Thank you, Madam Chair. Members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now to speak. Uh, for those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2485-887-9195, then pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. And as your queue to begin your comments, uh, please step up to the lectern and I'll start your time once you start speaking. 
Hi, uh, supervisors. My name is Eduardo Deer. I'm the uh, director of operations at Auto Return, and uh, I'm here with CJ. She's uh, the controller for the finance department, and I uh, just want to say that we are very uh, happy to uh, work with the SMTA. That uh, uh, thanks for you know the time, and uh, we hope uh, we can continue uh, giving good service to you guys. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you for your service, which you know, as reported, is, is exemplary, so thank you. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Mark Leeson here. I'm speaking on behalf of the uh, executive officers of Teamster 665. Uh, we organized um, this uh, group just about 20 years ago. Uh, it was uh, quite a thing. I was actually personally involved in that. Um, and we've always appreciated, I remember actually then Mayor Gavin Newsom coming in and really helping facilitate that uh, uh, that uh, negotiations that we have were very difficult back then. But over the last two decades, we've created a very stable workforce there, which is what we're looking for. The turnover is very low, as far as I know, recently. Um, and uh, that's what we're always looking for as these, uh, as these cycles come up. And we are supportive of the approval and supportive of the amendments uh, as, as they are. Uh, presented today. Uh, again, what we're looking for, as always, is stability of the workforce. I would add one thing that um, it's unique here in San Francisco, a private sector tow operator. Um, in other metropolitan areas around the United States, um, if the workers that are doing the work here in those other cities are not city employees, are not municipal employees, they work for private sector vendors, some of which uh, I would say diplomatically would be very difficult to work with. And again, I would remind that we've had stability with this workforce for 20 years and we're looking forward to continuing that in the many years to come. So thank you again. Thank you so much for your comments, Mark Leeson. Seeing no further speakers here in the chamber, uh, Mr. Lamb, please unmute our caller. Can you hear me okay? I'll start your time. Great. And if I could get a 30-second warning, that would be great. Thanks. Uh, David Pilpel, on this item, I agree with MTA staff to fund the next portion of the existing agreement. Towing services are clearly uh, vital to the city. I also agree with the BLA. Um, to further analyze the overall tow uh, program. I think there <clears throat> may be some uh, staffing uh, elements that could be uh, brought in-house. Um, maybe, maybe not, but it should be analyzed. I also agree that this continuing function should have permanent owned property rather than leased, absolutely. Um, I also hear the ongoing concerns from residents about uh, the tow program policies and practices, including uh, the homeless and vehicularly home uh, housed. Um, I would approve the uh, contract amendment uh, with the shorter term as uh, proposed by Supervisor Chan and uh, hold a separate hearing, not just get quarterly reports, but I would have a, a hearing either at this committee, uh, GAO, uh, or elsewhere um, about the, the tow program and the various issues, uh, policy issues uh, related to it. Um, but I, I ultimately do uh, support the contract amendment as amended. Thanks for listening. 
Mr. Lamb, do we have any more speakers in the queue? Uh, Madam Chair, that completes our, uh, our queue. Public comment is now closed. Supervisor Chan. I would like to make, them, um, make the motion to, should we move both together? Okay, make the motion to move uh, both proposed amendments, um, two set, the two sets of amendments proposed by myself and uh, Chair Ronan. On that motion is offered by Member Chan uh, to incorporate uh, both uh, amendments as offered uh, by yourself and uh, Chair Ronan. Uh, Vice Chair Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. Final motion? Oh. <laughs> My assumption is that it's not substantive and we don't need to continue. Therefore, I will make the motion um, to move this contract to the full board with recommendation. On that motion by Member Chan, uh, that this resolution be forwarded to the full board with a positive recommendation as amended. Vice Chair Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three yes. This motion is passed unanimously. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number 12? Uh, yes, item number 12 is a resolution authorizing the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development on behalf of the city and county to participate in the fourth round notice of funding availability to accept and expend the county competitive allocation award for an amount uh, up to approximately $26.7 million under the California Department of Housing and Community Development No Place Like Home program, which provides uh, funding for counties to develop multifamily housing uh, specifically for persons with serious mental illness or homeless, chronically homeless, or at risk of chronic homelessness uh, for a term effective upon approval of this resolution. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001. Uh, enter the meeting ID of 2485-887-9195, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A system prompt will indicate that you've raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, there will be your cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you so much. We have Kira Geitman from the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. Hi, thank you, Chair Ronan, Vice Chair Safai, and Member Chan. Uh, good afternoon, Supervisors. Uh, happy to be before you to propose this accept and expend. Um, this $26 million plus is going to be going towards uh, permanent supportive housing projects currently in our pipeline um, that are in active pre-development. Um, these are listed in our open data set as published online. Uh, as I know everyone is very familiar with, but to reiterate, uh, all of our housing projects require a very complex uh, patchwork of various funding resources and sources, etc. Um, you know, this is actually going to be the last round of funding from this particular program for the state, um, as exhausted by their bond authority. Um, and the program guidelines here actually prohibit subsidy stacking with some of the other state programs. So, um, you know, one example, we can't use these on units that are funded by multi multi-family housing program funds. So um, we're really excited to bring this to you and to reiterate the need that we want to stretch these dollars as much as possible to ensure we can get as many units of permanent supportive housing built within our city. Um, and with that, I am available for any questions that you may have. Thank you. Um, do, you do you have uh, sites identified for these funds? 
Yeah, so um, the sites that are listed, they're in active pre-development. We work closely with the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, as well as some of our counterparts over at the Department of Public Health. Um, they are sites that have already entered into pre-development phase. Um, I believe it's currently at about 15 that are in the pipeline, but there are um, program guidelines as stipulated by the state's uh, Housing and Community Development Department. Um, that judge that kind of outline, you know, whether it's ready for construction, whether ready to break down, where they are in the process, um, that will guide which of those pre-development projects um, are prioritized for this funding. Okay, so that has that decision have, has not yet been made. Not formally, no. We um, we're excited that this will, you know, once this gets through the process, because. The way that it is, is San Francisco as a jurisdiction represents, um, within our point in time count, more than 5% of the homeless population for the state, which means that we are able to apply for these funds as a city, as a county entity, versus having to submit individual projects. Um, so this actually is more helpful for us in the long term because we're gonna have this available for multiple projects rather than having to submit one-offs to the state. So yes. Fantastic, thank you. Um, I would like to be added as a co-sponsor to this item, and if you could open it up for public comment, that would be great. Noted, Madam Chair. Um, and members of the public who wish to speak on this item or are joining us in person should line up now to speak. Uh, for those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2485-887-9195. Then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. Uh, for those already in the queue, continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that is your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, and Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. Public comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Safai. I am, and please add me as a co-sponsor as well. Noted, Mr. Vice Chair. Uh, Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously. Mr. Clerk, do we have any other items today? Uh, Madam Chair, that concludes your business. The meeting is adjourned.